the Centers for Disease Control announced a startling discovery. Long forgotten vials of smallpox, one of the deadliest and most feared diseases in history. It was thought to be wiped out, but there it was in a cardboard box in a storage room just outside Washington, D.C. We also face a new threat that the next epidemic has a good chance of originating on a computer screen of a terrorist intent on using genetic engineering to create a synthetic version of the smallpox virus. Vials labeled smallpox found in a lab in Montgomery County. Smallpox is so deadly, only two labs in the entire world are allowed to have doses. Those vials were found at a Merck facility in Upper Gwinnett Township, Montgomery County, where vaccine research is conducted. You say, okay, what if uh, a bioterrorist brought smallpox to 10 airports, you know, how would the world respond to that? A truck hauling 100 monkeys collided with a dump truck outside Danville, and three of the monkeys got out. They arrived in the U.S. last week from Mauritius, a country in eastern Africa. They were being taken from New York City to a CDC-approved quarantine facility. The three that escaped posed a health risk to the public, CDC officials told us today. McCakes can pass deadly viruses to humans. This morning, a Massachusetts man is in isolation after being diagnosed with the first case of monkeypox in the U.S. this year. Dr. Chin Hong says monkeypox can spread through the sharing of any bodily fluid. Behooves us all to think about a pandemic response. Could be that individuals are not as immune to monkeypox as they once were as a result of smallpox vaccination. That's why we see uh, the ordering of the vaccine. You know, we'll have to prepare for the next one. That, you know, I'd say is, uh, will get attention this time. The Catholic Disinfo Hour, celebrating its second year of weekly production. The Rundown is a collaborative Catholic news and opinion show endeavoring to expose and mock the Build Back Better New World Order in both civil society and the church. We've correctly predicted lockdowns, mandates, elections, and public frauds of all manner. Covidians hate us, normies try to ignore us, and fake news organizations wish they could be us. This is The Rundown. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com Let us begin. The Council of Atheists who become theologians whenever the church is in the news cycle. I open the floor to Zachary the Wise. I went to 12 years of Catholic school. Oh, oh wow. That means he knows what he's talking about. And I'm pretty sure... The Ten Commandments says thou shalt not judge. That's, That's deep. deep. It's That's not deep. true, but it's deep. And having rules is the same thing as judging. That's true. That's yeah, so yeah, smart true. and true. I, for one, am personally against abortion, but I would never force my beliefs onto myself. Bridget, sister! And why does the church get to talk politics when they don't pay taxes? That's, That's so a great point. Good That's point. accurate. Anyway, you should all check out Planned Parenthood's list of political endorsements. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I've fought Catholicism for my entire life. But now I'm deeply concerned that the church is losing its way. We care. We, we care, care so much. We I totally care. And I've never read the Gospels or a single Christian theologian. But I assume this is not what Jesus would have wanted. I assume so, too. We can all safely assume so. Then the elders have decided the church should not be denying the Eucharist. 
to anyone for any reason. Agreed. Agreed. What's the Eucharist? It's, uh, uh, I don't technically know. Perfect. Meeting adjourned. What are we going to be experts on next week? Ukraine could be back in the news. The U.S. must be involved in Ukraine. As someone who will never be drafted, it's the only way forward. What do you think of Nancy Pelosi being denied communion? Please like, share, subscribe, donate at patreon.com slash freedomtunes if you want to help us make more. Thank you. It is your Friday Night Addiction. We are joined by special guest Bill Jasper. Here from the New American Magazine, I want to flip through your latest edition, Bill. Thank you so much for joining us on this Friday evening. Uh, You are writing prolifically about Bill Gates, Davos, elites pushing for global food control. We're going to be talking about that tonight. That's probably the first half of the show. We're also going to be talking about the tragedy down in Texas, unpacking the changing story that's happening down in Texas. I can't keep it straight. Uh, We have video clips from that as well. Parents trying to save their children from an active shooter being arrested by cops on the scene who cordoned off the area and gave the shooter an hour to do his dirty work. And then in the culture segment tonight, at the end, we have groomers, we have teachers, but we even have Bill Maher weighing in. Enough is enough. Uh, if we've if we won Bill Maher to our side, I think we're doing all right, gentlemen. Uh, let's get right to it. First of all, uh, my my favorite theologian in the whole world. She once played a nun in a movie. Welcome to the view, y'all. The abortion rights battle is starting to blur the lines between church and state. The Archbishop of San Francisco. Mm. It's calling for Speaker Nancy Pelosi to be denied receiving communion because of her pro-choice stance. He's one of the priests who also called for President Biden to be denied sacrament. This is not your job, dude. (laughs) That is not, you can't, that is not up to you to make that decision. You know, what is the saying? It's kind of amazing. Uh, But, you know, what is the point of communion, right? It's for uh, sinners, it's the, for, the, for sinners. It's the reward of saints, but the bread of sinners. How dare you? 
How dare you? That is, if Pope Francis says that that's the issue, but. Uh, Brother, Martin, Brother Martin, the, the, the Eucharist is for sinners. So basically she's admitting that Nancy Pelosi is a sinner. I mean, who wants that reputation? First of all, <laughs> okay. Given the Eucharist, the Nancy Pelosi, because she's a sinner. That's not, that's not, <laughs> it's kind of a self-defeating, a self-inflicted wound there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, I mean, Archbishop Cordelia his job, and, and it's, it's, it's not uh, encroaching on the state in the, in the sense that, I mean, it's, it's, who, if, it's, if it isn't Archbishop Cordelia's job, whose job is it then? Um, is, is it the President of the United States? Is it, well, actually, they, they probably would say it's the, uh, the United Nations job to, de- to deny people communion because that's the new, new world order there. Well, uh, it, universal see, it governance. seems like Whoopi thinks it's her job. <laughs> I, I, I mean, right, right. I mean, she's like, wait, it's not his job. It's probably mine. Right. Uh, it's it's the most ludicrous thing because she's not Catholic, and I highly doubt she's ever seriously studied Catholic theology. And you know, yeah, it is actually his job. The bishop of the diocese is the pope of his diocese, and it's his job to look at the spiritual benefit of all the subjects in his diocese and to take actions for their spiritual good. That is what the understanding is in terms of the bishop ruling in his diocese. And what Coeur d'Alene's done, uh, at least in that respect, is try to uh, you know, keep the, the salvation of her soul in view by saying, look, you are a grave public sinner. Public yeah. being the keyword, and I talked about that last week. You know, the yeah. whole purpose of that canon is protecting the Eucharist from scandal, public sacrilege, etc. That's why, again, if, if you have people that are living in public sin and everybody knows it, and they go up, what's the value of communion? You're 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 diminishing belief in the real presence every time you do that, yeah, and yeah. that's the whole purpose of Canon nine fifteen. So he is actually doing his job, and the, the whole thing this is crossing church and state. It, it's mind-blowingly stupid, but then again, not surprising coming from an actor um, these days. It's like, no, uh, when is it, how is it political to take a Catholic subject and say, look, you don't get the right to, because the, the church, it's the church's sacrament, not hers, mm-hmm. not the state's, mm-hmm. not Pelosi's. It's the church and her job to guard it. And sorry, it's not political to say this, it, this is a Catholic subject. And she is acting in ways contrary to the church, not, you know, merely because of the policy she's pursuing as they're considered politically, but as they're considered morally, because there is this area of overlap. Even non-Catholics can see it. I want to play this clip from Ben Shapiro, then I'll cut to you, Bill, uh, for your reaction. Shapiro, as a Jew, can even see the absurdity of Whoopi Goldberg. Understand this. This is not just about terminating a pregnancy. This is about contraception, family planning. They have been against it. They've told me, some of my Republican colleagues, we're not for any family planning domestically or internationally when we've tried to get rid of the gag rule and things like that. Yes, we don't want a bunch of abortions abroad either. What a a good Catholic she is. She's such a good Catholic. I mean, I'm glad that people are providing her communion. It it makes perfect sense. She's actively promoting the killing of the unborn. I got to say, I I just wonder where the Pope is in all of this, seriously. Like Benedict would have sounded off on, on some of this and talked about how it was good that finally more babies would be protected in America. Pope Francis, as a non-Catholic, I'm allowed to say bad things about Pope Francis, I believe. I think Pope Francis is a bad Pope. I think that he cares far too much about ancillary issues to the core mission of the church. And he cares far too little about the core mission of the actual Catholic church, which at this moment is deeply under threat by bizarre takes 
on gender and biology that run directly counter to natural law theory that undergirds the church. And it's really disgraceful that Pope Francis is far more concerned, not with saving babies in the United States, but he's very, very concerned with like carbon emissions. It's had nothing to say about any of this. Nothing. Really well done. Your thoughts? Kudos to Ben Shapiro for saying what so many of our Catholic prelates, priests, bishops, cardinals, and the Pope. He's so right on this. Where is the Pope in all of this? Why has this gone on for so long? Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 God bless Archbishop Cordelione for finally taking this step. Uh, many of us have been saying for, for years, come on, folks, what's the, what's the problem here? And Archbishop Cordelion, I have to say, when I saw him being interviewed on, on one interview, I forget which one it was, uh, it was painful to watch because rather than taking a strong Catholic position saying, look, this is the position of the church, this is we have to do, he was anguishing over he I think he even used that term he says I've anguished over this for years I've tried to converse with her uh, and he says and I'm sure that uh, Mrs. Pelosi is a sincere Catholic uh, she expresses her belief and I go wait 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 I, in fact I did turn it off a couple of times what do you mean she's not a sincere Catholic she's 80 some years old she's a grandmother mother she's she was brought up in the Catholic faith Prior to Vatican II, she knows what abortion is. She knows that it is uh, a, a crime against humanity. It's a crime mm-hmm. against the individual, a crime against God. It calls out for, for uh, justice from heaven. And uh, so uh, I really was hoping that he'd go further and excommunicate her. But, of course, she's a good buddy of the Pope's, and the Pope uh, gave her the big photo op, the big video op, when she went to Rome recently, as he did yeah, with right. Joe Biden. So he's putting the bishops in a tough spot. Nevertheless, they, they're shepherds of the church. They answer to God. Uh, and many of them are going to have to answer for their silence, for their uh, endorsement of these mm-hmm. politicians, and uh, for the support that they've given them. James, kudos to Archbishop Corleone, I think, for taking this step. But, of course, this week in the light of the shooting in Texas, he retweeted, uh, what's his name, Bishop Flores down in South Texas and saying, yeah, we need to control the guns, man. It's really unfortunate because uh, just when we all thought we were going to come around to uh, Archbishop Colodione and uh, give him some sort of uh, protection against the uh, evil people that are uh, circulating around him and probably chanting uh, all kinds of incantations wishing for his demise, you know, we were, we were all standing together shoulder to shoulder. And then he dropped the bomb on us quite, quite, uh, literally not figuratively, you know, in my opinion. Um, and this, I mean, Archbishop, I I think my tweet response to that was something of the effect, Oh, dear Archbishop, you, you know, you know, better than this. Um, you, you know, this is not, uh, the answer, you know, the answer is basically, bringing back God into society because we've chosen to push God out. When we choose God, uh, when we push God out, we have uh, problems that, that arise from that. We have a, a, a loss of identity of the human person. You know, we have a, we have a, you know, uh, uh, these uh, uh, despicable acts against nature that are taking place. 
we are applauding it in society. We're, we're actually, uh, you know, promoting it to the uh, most innocent ones, you know, uh, the little children. So when you have things like this in society, of course, after a while, you know, the human, uh, you, you know, the human being, you know, cannot lose his focus, you know, doesn't understand his telos, you know, what's my end purpose yeah. in this world. Yeah. And then it becomes very easy to just jump off, um, you know, uh, a, a stable, a place of uh, stability into where we are right now, where people are so quick to draw, to pull a trigger. Uh, sure, in that in that regard, but we have uh, bombings, we have shootings, we have people uh, knife attacks, all kinds of attacks. Basically, you know, it's 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 demonic, and that's exactly what it is. And if he's pointing at a gun or a weapon, anything can be a weapon. That's what I said. Anything can be a weapon. You can't focus on the gun. What is behind the gun? What is pushing people to this point? It is not the gun. Yeah. Right. We're going to we're going to stay on the church for a second, but the church is going to perfectly parlay us into the World Economic Forum's big annual meeting that finally took place post COVID, uh, because this is Laudato Sea Week. Did you know that just happens to coincide with Davos? That's weird. ¿Qué tipo de mundo queremos dejar a quienes nos sucedan, a los niños que están creciendo? Motivado por esta pregunta, quisiera invitarlos a participar en la Semana Laudato Si. Renuevo mi llamado urgente a responder la crisis ecológica. El clamor de la tierra y el clamor de los pobres no dan para más. Cuidemos la creación donde nuestro buen Dios creador. Celebremos juntos la semana las datos. Que Dios los bendiga. Y no se olviden de rezar por mí. Cari ascoltatori de la BBC, buongiorno. El cambiamiento climático y la pandemia de COVID-19 meten a nudo la radical vulnerabilidad de todos y todo suscitan numerosos dubios e perplessità sui nostri sistemi economici e sulle modalità di organizzazione delle nostre società. Queste crisi ci mettono di fronte a scelte radicali non facili. I don't know that I can get through all two minutes of that. I'm sorry. I just, I just can't. Ryan. Also from October, by the way. That well, second video. That second video is, but what, what are the odds that Laudato see weak? The urgent call for ecological... Uh, sins being remedied is happening. We know now also LifeSite's reporting, I don't have the article, I'll pull it up maybe if I can get it, that the Vatican participated in World Economic Forum, Ryan. What are the odds of all that happening in one week? If if you think it's a mere just random thing, then I'd say you're a coincidence theorist because the fact <laughs> is that uh, ever since Laudato Si came out and the Pope had it is this absurd frankly, desecration of a sacred building with this little uh, cry of the earth video for all these endangered animals being projected onto St. Peter's and all that. I mean, who who is there for all these conferences to introduce Loud Out to See? Jeffrey Sachs, uh, Bill Gates, George Soros. You have all these different people, the worst of the worst of people that, that want to depopulate the planet by 90%, that are all in favor of zero carbon, which, by the way, means genocide, because you don't get zero carbon unless you get rid of beings that exhale carbon. So 
um, and, and so on and so forth. I'm just going to keep repeating that until people finally get it. Zero carbon means genocide. And all the people who support that, Paul Ehrlich, who's a pseudoscience charlatan that um, has been predicting the, the end of the world in 1982. He predicted it in, for 1995, for 2000, 2010. He, 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 he always, just like Al Gore, predicting the end of the world. Right? He's at the Vatican. To, to talk about his science thing. He, this is a guy that praised China's one-child policy, right? And, and he's getting the, you know, because they're pushing all the guys talking about the climate nonsense. Yeah. And so sure enough, and what's one of the big themes is we'll see in these videos from Davos that we're going to show tonight, climate. And, and uh, you know, because that intertwines in with the technocratic control grid. You can't produce anything. You can't feed your kids. You can't, you know, do this or you know, whatever it is because that'll put more carbon in the atmosphere. And that that's bad. And, and, and that's why we have to take everything from you and you have to live in the pot and eat the bugs. Yeah. And all those people are intertwined with the Vatican at the hip. So little surprise if Laudato Sea Week is going to happen at the exact same time. It's planned that way because these people are working together on that particular subject. And I'm not even trying to say that Pope Francis or various people in the Vatican are anti-life, that they, they love abortion and they think abortion is great. Who knows what they really think about I wouldn't be surprised if if you had gave me proof of that, but mm. at the same time, it's not a priority for them. All these secular lefty issues are the priority because right. of, you know, whether you want to call it infiltration, whether you want to call it whatever it is, and everyone can see it. I mean, that even, this is the way to go. Even Ben Shapiro can see it. I mean, okay, look. Um, we took a hit in the chat for that too, but I'm just going to say it. Ben Shapiro, you know, he's a Jew. He's not a Catholic. Uh, it's it's sad that he's not going to convert, although I think Bishop Barron didn't help him very much in that regard. Um, but it, the point of bringing him in there is not to say, hey, look, you know, listen to Ben Shapiro, everyone, because he's the sage and he's so brilliant. It's like, no, the point no. is, hey, even he can see this. Yeah. Not we're going to put point. some guy up there to attack the Pope who's not Catholic. It's rather even he can see the reality of these issues, not because he's so good and so great. We all got to suddenly listen to him. Yeah, good point. Um I I want to I want to play uh, Schwab's opening comments to the World Economic Forum, Bill, and then I, and then uh, after this minute or so clip, why don't you give us an overview of the broad talking points that are happening there right now that you've been covering in your magazine, and um, and set the stage for for some of the topics that we can discuss tonight. But we also are at the tail end of the most serious health catastrophe of the last hundred years, COVID-19, and we have to reinforce our resilience against a new virus, possibly, or other risks which we have on the global agenda. We also have to address urgently the issue of climate change and all the other issues related to the preservation of nature. And finally, we look at the future of the global economy with great concerns. Too high inflation, too low growth, too many deaths. But what is particularly worrisome are the consequences, such as falling back of hundreds of millions of people again into poverty and possibly tens of millions of people dying of hunger. We have to be really concerned about those issues. And that's what we want to do 
here during this meeting. So how can Davos contribute to improving the state of the world? First, we know that all those challenges cannot be met by governments alone, by business alone, or by civil society alone. We need collaborative efforts. And the World Economic Forum here, Davos here, you here, I think it's the most impressive community for global cooperation. It's not governments alone, uh, Bill Jasper. It's not civil society alone. It's not businesses alone. It's, uh, well, it's communism? I don't know. Well, yes. And this is where the uh, World Economic Forum has been going since its inception. And so what, what we see here is really a distillation of what has been happening at Davos uh, for decades now. Uh, they're coming out much more out of the closet. It, I mean, it's right out in the open now. They're calling for a merger of the private and public sectors where government is totally integrated into all parts of our society. And uh, the model really, if you want to look at it, is communist China. And they're very open about this now. And that's why you have uh, Bill Gates and George Soros and uh, Lawrence Fink, BlackRock, and uh, all the big uh, Carlyle group and whatnot, why they are all so integrated into China. They're all invested there. They put up their plants there. They are buddies with Xi Jinping and Li Keqing and all the rest of the, the Politburo of the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, we see at the World Economic Forum itself, top members of the Chinese Communist Party in throughout the whole infrastructure of the WEF, leading many of their uh many of their task forces, many of their uh, uh, different uh, panels. And uh, so what is it about China that attracts them? Well, we have billionaires in China. We have uh, communist overlords in China. Uh, they have, a, I think they look at China and they say, well, gee, I'm a, I'm, I'm a billionaire, but I still don't have absolute control. Mm -hmm. I can't just lock up 25 million people in their homes like they do in Shanghai and let them starve. Uh, we can't just uh, call out the army and brutalize everybody as much as we want yeah. uh, yet. But uh, we want to uh, change the world. They say improve it for the better. Uh, and that means almost all of their top people have been on record calling for a depopulation of our globe, claiming that we have overpopulation. As Ryan pointed out, uh, Paul Ehrlich, the author of The Population Bomb, I remember when I was in college uh, uh, in 1970, uh, reading that book uh, that was required reading, and it's been required reading ever since, uh, the updates to it, even though it's been disproven over and over again. The people at the World Economic Forum this time are uh, thumping ever harder on all of the topics that they've been calling for all along, transhumanism. They want to have not just surveillance society like China. In fact, uh, Yuval Harari, one, their main spokesman on this, 
has said this over and over again. He says, we're going to have surveillance under the skin. And he points to it and he says, we're going to have surveillance inside of you so that even your thoughts will be known and your memories can be changed. We can program and hack the human brain, hack yeah. the human body. Those are, those are his words. Those are Klaus Schwab's words. So transhumanism is big again this time around, uh, of course. Uh, this week, it's not just a coincidence that it's Lerazzo C uh, week. It's also uh, the week that they're meeting uh, just a short ways away in Geneva at the World Health Organization to push the new uh, World Health Organization treaty. On top of that, uh, we see they're also pushing in this uh, Davos summit, as they have in previous ones, they're pushing for CBDC, central bank digital currencies, mm -hmm. so that you will not have any independence of actual anonymous cash. You will not be able to just walk in and buy something anonymously. You will have to have permission with a uh, chip uh, that is either on a card or implanted in you. They talk about that at the, the uh, Davos forums. Uh, in order to buy and sell the mark of the beast, uh, you will, in order to get a loan, in order to go to school, in order to get gasoline, in order to get groceries. Uh, this is really Orwellian, beyond Orwellian, frightening stuff. And these are the most wealthy, these billionaires, uh, and most powerful, they're presidents, prime ministers, princes, kings, etc., who are meeting their CEOs heads of the world's major think tanks and uh, tax-exempt foundations. They're also pushing uh, for, uh, you hear a lot uh, in the last couple of years about ESG, environment, social governance. Uh, they're getting all of the major corporations to buy into this, which is going to make their woke ideology of uh, critical race theory, LGBTQ, uh, inclusion that's another part you know they have all these all these acronyms esg they've got uh, dei diversity equity inclusion these are the, this is where they began pushing all of this they get all the the major corporation ceos there the big banks etc and the united nations of course this is the central part of it because this is all leading toward world government and those of us who've been writing about this and warning about this for decades, uh, when we were told, you know, we're the tinfoil hat people and we're crazy, uh, now it's it's out in the open. In fact, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum were partners and have been for the last several years at the annual World Government Summit. Yes, there is a World Government Summit that's held in uh, Abu Dhabi each year. Klaus Schwab was there in March. <clears throat> We've been writing about it, but most of the rest of the media totally ignores it. Most people have never even heard of it. All the major news corporations are there, but they don't report on it. Yeah, right. Uh, just like at many of these, these other gatherings. But it, at Davos, it's really pretty out in the open. And if we get enough people to look at this, this is how many of the uh, liberals that have converted in the last uh, uh, year or so have uh, finally gotten awakened. They've seen that, geez, these guys are megalomaniacs. They're calling for resetting 
completely transforming the whole world socially, politically, economically, spiritually, mm. morally. I mean, these guys uh, actually claim to be gods. And that's where uh, Yuval Harari, their, their big uh, guru now, he's come out and said that many times. We don't need any god up in the sky. We are our own gods. And we're <laughs> right. going to fashion a new world. This, this is this is the. We know how that work has worked out in the past with people with those kind of uh, di diabolical uh, dispositions. I, I want to get James to react to to the kind of the opening of of Davos and and answer the question. You know, are they being more brazen now than ever before? These globalists, these liberals, these communists. Uh, but first, let's let's watch one of these videos. The future of pandemics. Uh, this is this is about defense policy people public health funding is going to be an important factor here in terms of combating the future pandemic but one of the realizations i think that, that people have been coming to over the last couple of years is that combating pathogens is not just a public health priority it's also a defense priority and i remember i had this uh, conversation in, in the white house actually in in march of 2020 when we were sitting around and there was a realization that you know we could have been under a bioterrorist attack and been under attack for weeks and, and many, many people were dying and we didn't know the source, we didn't know how to combat it. And so I think there's sort of an increasing awareness that you know, combating a pathogen is increasingly a defense priority too, that the next attack, yeah, it may be the next coronavirus or the next antimicrobial resistance, but it could be a bioterrorist weapon. And so what that brings into the equation is that we're not just necessarily looking for public health funding, which unfortunately goes through surges and then dies off, but we should be accessing defense budgets too. And those unfortunately tend to be more perennial. But we've got to remember that again, fighting pathogens is not just a public health priority. It's a global defense priority too, increasingly going forward. Got to use the defense box, man. Muted. The only sort of thought I have about this uh, kind of thing is to bring it back to what we saw, you know, I guess we can kind of remember uh, what was out there back uh, during anthrax. You know, so we have all these uh, pathogens that are existing at uh, Fort Detrick. Um, uh, is that on your uh, end? Yeah, out in Maryland. No, it's not on my end. No, uh, maybe it is. I don't know how to. I don't know how to use my my uh, computer these days. But um, confession, yeah, that so, was me. Oh, <laughs> there we go. There we go. May so, we, we, <laughs> so we have uh, we have the, the very people who are uh, basically in charge of housing these uh, pathogens and all these other, uh, uh, you know, things that we consider global threat. You know, we're housing all of these in uh, Washington, D.C., you know, and then we're hoping that uh, we don't ever have some sort of accident where these things are released into society. You know, oh my goodness, what are, what are we going to do? Well, you know, that's that's part of the problem. And it's it's not going to be something that we can just sort of push aside now as a conspiracy theory because we see, we've heard them. I mean, it, they've been talking about this for years, right? But we just we just weren't paying pay attention. But yeah. now post post, uh, you know, uh, COVID of 2020, now we're able to sort of listen to them and, and glean from them those things that we need to take, which is, you know, they're still thinking about something serious of a weapon, you know, to use against the uh, the people in the world. And this is going to happen one way or the other. 
You know, they they have all the data right now, how, uh, you know, our bodies react to COVID or, or you know, whatever. So however they're going to use that to their advantage of going up, you know, to the next level and whatever attack it is they're planning. Um, we're not, unfortunately, we're not one step ahead. We're, we're behind the curve. But at least we, we know um, people like Bill Gates are out there, uh, Kyle is out there, and all the other people who are working together with, you know, uh, in conjunction with labs that are that we don't know exist. So these labs yeah. are out there working working on these pathogens. We don't know exactly what's happening, um, but we can be sure that um, you know such an attack, whether or not it's it's, it's imminent, but such a, such a thing is is something they're thinking about and they're hoping to realize. Yeah, uh, just, you know, you mentioned the anthrax thing. I happen to be good buddies with a former supervisory FBI special agent who did the Tom Daschle anthrax investigation. He wore a spacesuit and everything. He He's one of the most anti-government people I've ever met. Most One of the most conspiratorial people I've ever met was the first person I know personally who said that COVID was a weapon. Uh, Ryan, uh, Bill mentioned that they're going to surveil under our skin. We have that video. How creepy is this? COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. We're now seeing mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin, now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet, above all they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. I know that in recent years, we saw populist politicians undermining deliberately the trust that people have in important institutions like universities, like respectable media outlets. These populist politicians told people that, say, scientists are this small elite disconnected from the real people. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will. That's over. That's over, right? right. It's over. Um, and frankly, if we continue to accept the technocratic control grid uh, without divine intervention, it, it is going to be over. That's why I'm, I, I believe there will be divine intervention to stop it in one way or the other. But it's someone like Harari is, is very creepy anyway. But 
he's only echoing what has been written about in journals and the, the wet dream of technocrats for decades. And now they're coming out with technology that, that I, I honestly think is preternatural in origin that, that men probably could oh, yeah. up with on their own, unless somebody was giving them hints from down below. And so the, when you look at things like now they have smart toilets that they're trying to roll out in sewer system. What the, what's that got to do with anything? Well, as it turns out, and if you get in some of the journals where they're talking about these things and biotech and other places that can read what's in the stool. And the reason it'll read what's in the stool is because of lipid nanoparticles that respond and carry data that can be read by computers. And as nuts and ridiculous as that sounds, because uh, there are people who's like, oh yeah, that, that's not even that's not even possible. Well, they're doing it. So either they're lying about what they're doing in their journals, or they really can do that. Yeah. And it's going to monitor everything that is going on in your body because all the stuff you're going to be allowed to eat is going to have, uh, you know, whatever particles and barcodes and, and things that, that they're going to be able to read through these so-called smart toilets. And it, it's the type of control grid the technocrats have been talking about from the beginning. And if you followed Patrick Wood's research, and I highly recommend anyone follow T Patrick Wood, you can see him on Technocracy News. Uh, uh, he's a website he runs, but he's got several books he's written documenting in painstaking detail uh, the original technocratic movement, which started at the University of Columbia in the 30s. And the things that they're talking about are absolutely pie in the sky from the 1930s, where none of this technology, not only did, it, did any of this stuff exist, but it wasn't even really conceivable, except they were right across from the, the room or the, uh, the basement from where IBM's Hall Earth punch card machines were developed. And as mathematicians as most of them were, except for Hubbard, who was a geologist, you know, it's not hard to see the applications in the future, even if you don't see the form it's going to take. Mm -hmm. And the whole technocratic movement really starts from there. And it, and it moves on. G, uh, Hubbard, who was a geologist, uh, M.K. Hubbard, I think, uh, not to be confused with L. Ron Hubbard of Scientology. M.K. Hubbard, he actually uh, was the guy who came up with the peak oil theory, the idea that oil is this uh, fossil fuel that we're going to run out of. Whereas in actuality, a lot of scientists and geologists have come to the conclusion that it's abiotic. I mean, come on, think about it. You need like a Borg-sized cube of dinosaurs in Saudi Arabia or something like that, you know, for, for all these whatever millions of years. Mm. But where you actually find oil doesn't uh, fit the notion of fossil fuels and, and it replenishes itself. And that's why there's, there's a whole bunch of geologists that have talked about this, that it's abiotic from magma chamber reactions in the earth but if you have this notion of peak oil now you can set limits on what people are doing and it ties in all the nonsense we already saw in the climate and it ties in with the future oh yeah you can't use that resource we're gonna control it we need to yeah. get the compliance and we've got the technology to force you into that compliance and harari he's one of these guys that i always you know i'll still run into these coincidence theories that are like yeah conspiracies don't happen there's video of harari with the richest and most powerful people in the world telling them exactly what to do and they're all nodding their heads like you know like, like fools you know oh, yeah we're gonna go out and do this and, right. and even after he jokes reject conspiracy theories even though he's sitting there saying yeah you're all gonna do this and they're all like, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do this Ryan, I want to stay with you uh, post this second video because you're so good on uh, on the surveillance state. You know, we, we've 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 gone from the terrorist surveillance state to the bio surveillance state. And this woman uh, articulates exactly how she wants to keep that going. If, if you had to say why the next pandemic would be prevented, 
what would what would be the, the case for optimism? I'm going to start with you, Helen. We have to believe that it's possible to stop a localised outbreak becoming a raging global pandemic. And that means better surveillance, more transparency, frankly, by all member states. If they think something's happened, it's got to, it's got to be reported. And the WHO needs the power to be on the site with whatever teams need to be deployed. It needs to be able to publish the information it has rather than you know, beg countries for permission to do it. It's got to be able to take a precautionary approach in running up a flag. And it's got to be able to declare an emergency without being kneecapped by an emergency committee. These are basic things that need to be dealt with in a, in a review of the international health regulations. Otherwise, we will lose weeks again next time something happens. Got to have surveillance, global surveillance. Well, absolutely. And, of course, the, the reason for the global surveillance is naturally the health security state. And here I just have to acknowledge the work of James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. A lot of our audience has seen Corbett and watches Corbett. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about the health security state uh, before I knew anything about it. That's for sure. And the um, and I thought swine flu was when it was all going to go down back in uh, 2013, 2014. And then it didn't. And then, I, you know, then I forgot about it again up until the, the, the first week that the COVID started going through Milan. And I said, you know, there's something about this that's kind of eerie in the timing. And then I looked up his old videos and said, wow, you know, yeah, now I see exactly how it's going. So I'm going to do this. There's a couple of articles that kind of highlight um, this. So I'm going to share. So here we are. Tedros, re-elected as a WHO chief, urged to resist West pressure, probe U.S. biolabs in second term. Um, so so this is uh, from a Chinese website, of course. And they're, they're of course, they love Tedros, uh, who was uh, reinstated. And so, of course, they, um, they really want you know, to, to not go into the biolabs, to not, you know, take pressure from the West, basically to turn the WHO into this super state, the pandemic treaty, which I'm sure, which actually Bill has been covering in his paper and uh, so many other things. Um, Is this so the same guy? We, we did have a video of, of this guy dressed as a woman and dancing, but I took it out of the lineup because it was just too appalling. Is this the same yeah, guy? And I've heard that it's fake, which, which may in fact be the case. Um, here's another one. Is this one showing up on the NHS? Or do we not? No, let's try that. All right, here. Let me let me do this. Let me uh, do this again. So, the uh, the next thing is the the next way this is going to move. Here we go. This should do it. NHS. Are we seeing this now? Yes. So this is from OffGuardian.com. They've done a lot of great work uh, in a documenting and stuff. The NHS just edited their monkeypox page to make it scarier. And so I'm going to go down to the salient point. Up until a few days ago, according to archive links, the monkeypox page, this is on the British National Health Service, said this it is very uncommon to get monkeypox from a person with the infection because it does not spread easily between people. This is totally removed. As of November 2021, um, you know, we have monkeypox is usually a mild illness that will get better on its own without treatment. Some people can develop more serious symptoms, blah, blah, blah. The new treatment paragraph reads, treatment for monkeypox aims to relieve symptoms. The illness is usually mild and most people recover in two to four weeks. You may need to stay in a specialist hospital so your symptoms can be treated. And then it continues from there. And this is what they, they've documented here is monkeypox can spread if there is 
Close contact. You will need to be isolated if you're diagnosed with it. And finally, they move down to the next bit. Um, you know, undercooked meat, which will doubtless feed into the anti-meat narrative too. Oh yeah, that is. Um, and, and so on and so forth. They're laying up the same COVID narrative that they've had. Uh, before now, it's just going to be the monkeypox, which nobody knows anything about, of course, which yeah. will continue to reinforce all the same things, biosecurity state. They're going to lock down again, even though it's been shown. There's there's countless articles, even in the medical journals. A lot of medical professionals that were bamboozled the first time, a lot of them are waking up and saying, you know, this this really wasn't all that good for anybody. But yet, you know, here we are on the verge of they've already announced in Belgium they're going to have quarantines for the monkeypox. And it may, they may or may not shift gears or they'll, they'll call it, you know, monkeypox and then do whatever. And they'll shift gears to smallpox or who knows what it'll actually be with smallpox actually is deadly if it's the real thing. Uh, and they probably made it deadlier in their bio labs and whatnot. But that's, you know, that that lays into the thing with health, because we saw with the uh, the military industrial complex after 9-11, irrespective of what you think about 9-11, we're not going to take that up tonight, but irrespective of what it was. After is the war on terror. So it's boogeymen in turbans over in Afghanistan and Iraq and wherever else. So that, that's what you got to be scared of. That's the enemy. So support old glory and patriotism. And uh, we got this nice Patriot Act. So we're going to surveil. Make sure those 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 bearded, uh, you know, towel head wearing terrorists aren't going to get you. Right. That, that's the idea they're spreading. Now that same narrative is being used. But now it's not those Muslims that you don't like over there. Now it's your neighbor. Now it's everyone else. We talked about that in the last two years during this, this so-called pandemic and the unspecified virus of unspecified origin and all that business right now it's your neighbor you are the enemy they're the enemy you are the terrorist because you mm -hmm. might be carrying this pathogen and therefore now and then you have all these idiots like uh, certain legionnaires mm -hmm. satan priests or whatnot talking about the common good all based on this thing that is not only not certain it hasn't even been shown to actually be the case yeah. that you are carrying because it comes from this false philosophy this false notion that you are carrying an infection, you're part of an infection chain that ends in killing grandma. Therefore, the state can do whatever it wants in order to make sure you can't kill grandma. And that's completely contrary to our natural rights. It's completely contrary to the actual common good, the real Catholic teaching on the common good. And even the whole notion that you see in, in St. Thomas's discussion in natural law, conservatio essay, the whole notion of the preservation of being, right? That we have a right to preserve basically as we are. That means the government does not have a right to stick in uh, experimental gene therapy into us just because there's some sense which it, it'll cause, it'll it'll save, uh, you know, this or that. And of course, now we know it had less than a 12% efficacy for about a week or two weeks and then nothing. That's what the new data, now that the data is out shows. So all the people are screaming 95% efficacy, including that one legionnaire Satan priest, um, Sure enough, that was all a crock of crap. And we said it was a crock of crap. They ignored us. And now it's there. They're still screaming. It's well, you still have to do it for the common good. It's all a lie. There yep. is no common good that you can draw out of something that's completely uncertain. It's just government dictatorial propaganda they're pushing down in the health because people get scared. Who wants to die? You know, naturally, you don't want to die. You want to preserve your life. But, you know, now everyone's scared. So therefore, we have to do this, and we have to do that, and everyone's going to lay down and accept it. And that's where the, the, they're going to keep pushing it. And probably, I think they realize, unless there's bodies stacked up in the streets, people are not going to accept the next round. Because like in my area, nobody is going to lock down. 
the cops are not going to enforce and in bills in my areas he knows the same thing is true the sheriffs are not going to enforce it the cops are not going to enforce it even where there's liberal city mayors that the, still they don't want the appropriate right because most people aren't going to accept it but yeah, if you have I the body backed up in the streets now people are going to accept it yeah um in between bio terrorism regular terrorism and inflation brother martin the, the, the creed that binds these people together, like their normal, you know, ordinary time, let's say, for, for the anti-religion, it's carbon. We're developing through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Hmm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. Here's John Kerry on his private plane talking about carbon and the environment. You can run around the planet and there isn't any country on the planet that isn't feeling and living the impacts of the climate crisis. Droughts, fires, mudslides, floods, storms with greater intensity that comes from the increased moisture coming from the ocean, which comes from the increased heat going into the ocean, because 90% of the warming of the planet goes into the ocean. And the oceans, they are at risk. The chemistry changing faster than they have in millions of years. And you can't solve the problem of the oceans if you don't solve climate. You can't solve the problem of climate if you don't solve the ocean. People need to understand that 51% of the oxygen we breathe comes from the ocean. Brother Martin, uh, the environmentalist, radical environmentalist movement is, is uh, decidedly anti-human. It is a perfect reason to limit uh, the, the number of human beings on the planet because the planet is crying out, as His Holiness has, uh, has repeated. It's pretty incredible. Um... And trying to pin down their their philosophy precisely because they, in almost every other sentence, they, they seem to contradict themselves. Because they up as being something greater than God, at the same time, we're all responsible for nature and and to lower ourselves to to uh, serving nature as opposed to I mean if we're gods I mean nature serves us or whatever else or we're higher than nature so forget about nature, but for some reason nature has has this higher dignity now than even the human person, but then again they seem to contradict even the dignity of the human person because they can take away all sorts of rights and freedoms only for the sake of a carbon footprint, something that's, that's simply natural. Um, and so this whole idea of surveillance is, is, is incredible. Why, why, they're, why they're so addicted to the idea of surveillance, surveillance, this, this, is, this is going to be what solves the problem, surveillance, the need to get even under people's skin. Mm-hmm. Um, precisely because in, in, in a lot of atheistic philosophy, determinism, determinism, Determinism is the idea that uh, there, there are certain chemical reactions in the brain that are responses to things that are outside of, uh, outside of you, and there's no such thing as free will, that every, every action that, that you commit is something that is simply a chemical reaction to, to, to uh, what is happening outside of you, so there's, there's no such thing as free will. But this comes also, uh, determinism depends on empiricism, that there's no such thing as a soul, no such thing as immaterial reality, everything is simply material, so... Uh, the human soul doesn't exist. It's it's just all chemicals in your brain. Yeah. Um, but this also proves what we've been saying about uh, hu- human dignity is, I mean, uh, not even if not last rundown, the rundown before um, that I was talking about the uh, 
human dignity comes from for these empiricists simply by the function of what humans can can do, what we can produce, uh, what what role we can play. So, in the sense that you know, infants, for instance, we talk about abortion, talk about uh, baby food for, uh, shortages. Uh, babies are are so they're they're beneath the level of human dignity precisely because they can't do anything. In fact, they require us uh, to do something for them and they do anything back to us. Um, and so that's kind of why we're seeing why why babies and infants they they don't matter to society they don't, or or even those that are elderly. You know, we we see euthanasia growing in society more and more over the last decade. Um, and th- this is a this is a big deal precisely because uh, especially after World War II and we had you know. Uh, actually, World War One and World War Two, where we just slaughtered millions of human beings, thanks to our technology, thanks to, to you know mustard gas and all, all sort of inventions. Um, there was some Catholic philosophers, was like Jacques Maritain and Carol Wojtyla, featured John Paul II, who tried to use philosophy, in particular personalism um, and phenomenology, to try to use atheistic language or, or philosophy, something that wasn't theological, to try to convince. Uh, was religious of the first the existence of the human person and second the dignity of the human pers- person. Mm. Um, but as we know as Catholics, that, that only comes from from the fact that uh, we acknowledge that God is our Creator and that He gives us dignity precisely because He is our Creator and He wanted us to exist. He loves us. So we talk about natural law theory, um, all that kind of stuff. It's very it's very hard uh, to to convince those of natural law theory, the existence of nature is the existence, you know, that there's some sort of natural law that is, that is a, a participation in the divine law without having to, to get them to admit that there's some sort of law enforcer of, of a law higher than that of the state. And it's, that's what they don't it's, it's want. One, natural law is one of those things. You either see it or you don't. And if you don't see it, then you have no moral compass and you're not worth engaging. Exactly. Um, and so I would like to conclude my little, my little rant, just saying that uh, there, there are double agents among us. Between the, the New World Order and, and uh, Catholic integralism and, and the Catholic society, Christendom, there's, there are double agents. Mm-hmm. And those double agents, those double agents are those Catholics who are addicted to their passions and want to live comfortable lives. Precisely because when the New World Order is trying to be enforced by these uh, you know, WHO people and the WEF people, they, they, will, they will try to take away their comforts um, precisely to, to get them to, to, to obey them. And these Catholics, these Christians, will simply slowly and surely obey, 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 simply to keep their comforts. Those Catholics that continue to obey the lockdowns and the mass mandates, all that kind of stuff, um, sooner or later we have to, we have to put, the, put our foot down and, and, and stop being double agents and, 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 and accept the consequences. But brother, watching mass on TV is really easy and my cargo shorts are very comfortable. And gas is expensive. Um, Bill, uh, Bill uh, on carbon, uh, you know, they want to monitor our individual carbon use. That, I mean, that this is like, this is a level of surveillance. I mean, under the skin is creepy, and I don't know if they'll ever get there. But I do know for sure that we have smart cities. We have smart grids. They can, they can, they can control your thermostat remotely in some places. I mean, this is a real thing. And it's not just how cold your house is, it's what you eat, how, how much you travel, how fuel efficient your car is, how many miles you drive. This is coming soon because all of these devices, everything is on online. You know, I, 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 it's, it's, it's all um, smart devices that are connected to the Internet. So it's not that hard. It's just big data. Yes. And uh, Ryan mentioned 
the technocracy. And I have a full library of the booklets put out by technocracy back in the 1930s and 40s while they were still uh, envisioning all of this. And of course, they were then envisioning something which they did not have the technical ability to uh, to actually bring to fruition, but they saw the uh, the potential for it, for control. This is all about control. They were being financed by the Rockefeller Foundation and the Ford Foundation at that time, which, uh, you know, Bill Gates uh, several years ago, about a dozen years ago, when he was really launching his World uh, uh, Health Forum, his Global Health Forum, uh, he said, when I got into this and started financing it, I saw that the Rockefeller Foundation was already 70 years ahead of me. And of course, he works very closely with the Rockefeller Foundation now. But he was acknowledging that, yes, this has been developing for a long time. It's just that now in the last decade, technologically, we've gotten to the point where they can gallop forward with the technological side of this. And so they're trying to bring all the rest of us on board with their vision for resetting, for build back better, etc. In 1992, I went to the uh, UN Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. I was the only conservative, probably Christian journalist there amongst over 15,000 journalists. And uh, you might remember the grand poobahs there at the summit were a billionaire socialist from Canada by the name of Maurice Strong, uh, who was a new age uh, occultist, uh, I believe a Satanist, uh, and Mikhail Gorbachev, communist leader of the Soviet Union. And uh, they were the, the um, uh, co-chairs there at the, at the summit. All the rest of the people there were globalists from the World Economic Forum and, and elsewhere. And one of the plans they came forward with was Agenda 21. And I brought back a copy of it, over a thousand pages. Uh, and it laid out the plan for, the, to, for, for saving the planet. They had to control and regulate everything. They, they listed the atmosphere, the biosphere, mountains, uh, steppes, plains, rivers, ponds, oceans, seas, bays, coastal areas, cities, uh, farms, everything. They want to control everything. And when I, I went on a uh, speaking tour about that in 1993, when my book first book came out on that, and people just couldn't believe it. And they said, that, that'll never happen. One of those who said that was Glenn Beck when I was on his show, on his radio show. Uh, now they have gone beyond that to Agenda 2030, and they've outlined all of that in their sustainable development goals, how every country has to sign on to these, and uh, virtually every country has. And so we have each year more of these sustainable development goals being stair-stepped up, creating more legislative, executive, judicial, regulatory, and enforcement powers in global institutions, all under the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, UNESCO, UNICEF, uh, the Food and Agricultural Organization, uh, the World uh, Food Program, 
All of these agencies, they've built a global superstructure of bureaucracy all across the globe with massive, big palatial edifices in all the major cities. And I've been to, to many of those. And let me tell you, these folks who tell the rest of us we have to reduce our carbon footprint, <laughs> they're just like the folks at the WEF. They are they are uh, have carbon footprints that actually dwarf some third world countries. So you go to a, a UN confab and uh, like the FAO, Food and Agricultural Organization in Rome, uh, I've been there. They have these gorgeous big restaurants and everything. They're all eating high on the hog there, while pontificating about the poor and the hungry and the starving of the world. Mike, you're muted. I know that many of you right now are watching the rundown and you're saying to yourselves, this is such great content. You are like this cat mesmerized. What I think many of you don't realize is you're watching the rundown actually on the rundown's own separate YouTube channel. And if you're not subscribed to the Rundown's YouTube channel, you may not get the updates. The Rundown no longer carried on Restoring the Faith Media's YouTube channel. It's on its own YouTube channel. If you don't like it and subscribe to it, then you may you may miss it. We're almost done, James, with our discussion about the World Economic Forum, their annual meeting in Davos. There's one more topic, though, that, that really caught my eye. They're concerned about having to throw away all these vaccines. They've pre-bought billions of doses and nobody wants them. As Seth knows, we're now throwing those into the garbage. It's, it's sad to say. I'm in the process of throwing 30 million doses into the garbage because nobody wants them. Uh, we have a big demand problem. We right now have uh, governments. We try to contact not only Seth, who is doing great work with his team trying to get demand into the countries, but also we contacted through the Washingtons in, the embassies in Washington, every country, and nobody wants to take them. And so the challenge we have now is it's a very different situation than we had two years ago. The problem we had two years ago is there was no mRNA capacity in the world, zero. The situation is very different today. Moderna has $3 billion of annual capacity. Pfizer has $4 billion at $7 billion. And the Chinese don't want the vaccines of mRNA. So if you just take the just the Chinese population out, you have more than a dose per person. And as we just discussed, the issue in many countries is people don't want vaccines. People don't want them, James. And the Pfizer CEO, and by the way, you're muted, but the Pfizer CEO is talking about billions of unsold vaccines. Right now, for example, there are billions of doses of our vaccine, the vaccine that was used in Europe, in, uh, in the US, that it is offered to low-income countries for free. And it is offered by the US government mainly, but also by the European Union, but they're doing donations. So the U.S. government bought for us at cost and they donated. They can't use them right now because we discovered that one thing is supply and the other thing is to have educated population that believe that vaccines is doing well. You have to be an educated population that believes that, they're, that the vaccines do well, James. You know, uh, the reality of all of this, right? So the, the real takeaway from from this we all should be getting is the fact that the uh, vaccines were garbage to begin with and everybody knew it. The vaccines were absolute garbage. And these people were knew they were selling snake oil 
to uh, to to citizens of the world, right? So the governments themselves know that this was also garbage. So they're hoping to get away with a big payday. And their biggest frustration in the, in this whole uh, thing is, well, we're we're gonna have to throw in, <laughs> yeah, the vaccine, uh, the vaccines, and we're not gonna get paid, you know. And that just kind of tells you about the uh, moral clause they have in their in their lives, you know. That they're, they're not they're not in this for any moral reason whatsoever. And you know, I'm sorry if I'm not crying at the, the loss of such great medicine, you know, from, from Pfizer. What was it, 12% efficacy rate of these vaccines lasting, what, two to three weeks? Oh, come on, that's, that's a joke. Well, but but they're out in the open, James. Like, like they're communicating their biggest concern, which is we made all these things and no one wants to buy them. Well, yeah, people, I mean, people are waking up. And honestly, it's not even really the government, right? It's the people who are pushing back against the government they thought they were going to get people so far along that it was going to be easy to sell this but down the line people kind of realized that uh, all this was snake oil you know you have people developing all these uh uh you know cardiovascular uh injuries and you know diseases you know sports uh athletes were falling over and so i mean naturally speaking you know uh there's a lot of pushback from people who are watching other people collapse Yes, I know. You, you you can't force this on me. And there was a push for that. I mean, what was this document supposed to be released? Uh, what seventy years from now? Uh, uh-huh. you, you know, uh, uh, yeah. And this all of a sudden became uh, for them something that they didn't see they were going to get pushback from. And I'm glad it's come out that all this was a farce. And uh, you know, people are just ready to to basically move on with with society. At least it seems until the next big thing comes along. So how how much are we? going to be aware and awake to what's coming down down the pike this was just maybe it was a it was a test balloon in the sense that the damage from from this was not as great as uh they were hoping uh and there's more to come down the pike i you know i'm waiting to see well what is the next big thing final video from davos and we're done with the world economic forum we can move on george soros everyone's favorite villain he tells us what the next big thing is World War. Thank you all for coming. Since the last Davos meeting, the course of his history has changed dramatically. Russia invaded Ukraine. That has shaken Europe to its core. The European Union had been established to prevent such a thing from happening. Even when the fighting stops, as it eventually must, the situation will never revert to what it was before. The invasion may have been the beginning of the Third World War, and our civilization may not survive it. That's the subject I will discuss today. Okay. How is he even still alive? <laughs> I, I don't know. Up? Some potion, some elixir that he's using. Uh, after the break, we are going to get into the shooting in Texas. We are going to get into um, all manner of things.
What do you think we input. need to do? Oh, oh we need a revolution. Yeah. Yeah. And we need it no. now. No. Not later. Now. <laughs> Not later. Now. All right. Bill, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you, but first I'm going to play this video. And it's two minutes. It's an interview with Texas police departments on exactly what happened in Uvalde. And the story has changed. It's even changed while we've been streaming this, uh, this podcast live. So we'll try to encapsulate all of those life changes and unpack that. Wolf is that there was multiple officers that arrived on scene. There was three officers that arrived that made entry um, at one of the entrances where the gunman actually made entrance to. We had other another four officers that made uh, entry at the other entrance of the school. So there was officers inside that school. As they were taking gunfire, they were also calling in for reinforcement, uh, backup, tactical teams, uh, snipers. Any additional personnel that could arrive to assist to not only with to with the situation, but also to assist in evacuating uh, students and teachers at that time. That's when a U.S. Border Patrol uh, tactical officer arrived, also with a Zavala County Sheriff's deputy, as well as two additional uh, Uvalde Police Department officers were able to go into that classroom uh, with a ballistic shield as cover. And, of course, we know that one of those officers, an agent, actually was uh, was shot, uh, was grazed at the top of the head. But they were able to shoot and kill the suspect and pre preserve any other life. We know that there was other injured children inside that classroom that they were able to save as well and get them to and get them to cover and at that point it became a recovery process a rescue operation trying to rescue the injured and also any other potential children or teachers that were inside those classrooms but don't current the best practices lieutenant call for officers to disable a shooter as quickly as possible regardless of how many officers are actually on site Correct. The active shooter situation, you want to stop the killing, you want to preserve life. But also, one thing that, of course, the American people need to understand is that officers are making entry into this building. Uh, they do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are, they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they, if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school. So they were able to contain that gunman inside that classroom uh, so that he was not able to go to any other portions of the school to commit any other killings. Your colleague at the Department of Public Safety, Lieutenant, said the majority of the gunfire was actually done at the beginning. Okay, uh, I'm cutting this off because I think most people, Bill, are familiar with the fact that there was a mass shooting in Uvalde. Uh, most people are familiar with the fact that uh, like 18 people were killed. Uh, this was one of the deadliest days in, in school shooting history. What a lot of people don't know, though, is that the police took an hour to enter the school and shoot the shooter. I, I don't exactly know what they were waiting on. It seems like what this cop is saying that they were waiting on is that some elite tactical team from Border Patrol uh, because the, the local PD didn't want to didn't want to take the case. What have you seen? Oh, sorry, Bill. You're Muted. in the same boat. Am I on now? You're on. You're on now. Okay. Uh, we're all kind of in the same boat. The story has been changing minute by minute, hour by hour contradicting the previous stories. Uh, probably most of your audience is familiar with the the back 
uh, tracking that they've made on a number of the claims about going into the building, about having a, a school safety officer there who uh, exchanged gunfire right at the very start. All of that turned out to be false and was later recanted by the police spokesman. But what we saw here, in my opinion, and look, uh, we have a support your local police committee that we've had uh, nationwide for four years. We're very much in favor of the police. Uh, and, you know, we need to have law enforcement uh, so that we, uh, you know, during the during, during times when you need a cop, uh, as they found out in Seattle's CHOP, uh, and as they found out in uh, many of the Black Lives Matter riots, when they needed help, uh, they needed a cop there. So I'm very supportive of the police, but it's very obvious that this police spokesman was talking as rapidly as he could and putting as as much uh, emphasis and uh, into it as he could as, to cover the fact that he was covering up. And uh, they're trying to uh, change the narrative here. Uh, an hour goes by uh, with a shooter in the school uh, and you may have seen some of the other video. There were parents of those children outside of the of the school, and they were want, they were wanting to go in. Uh, uh, moms and dads they were trying to charge in themselves. They didn't even have guns, but they were going to go get their kids. And the police there, the various law enforcement there, there actually used tasers and threats against them to keep them from going in. And uh, I, I got to tell you, if it were my kids or grandkids, now I have grandkids that, of course, they wouldn't be in a they wouldn't be in a government school. But uh, in a situation like that, uh, I uh, I charge in, and what are they? Are the police can actually shoot the parents who are trying to go in to stop the shooter? Uh, you know, this is this is uh, crazy, and we're going to have to. Uh, I have some other reporters that are that are digging into this to try and get beyond the cover stories that are being uh, given out here. But something really doesn't add up here with You're the right. shooter and his background and his uh, access to the uh, very expensive high. Yep. High yep. end. Uh, You're right. This, this, this kid, this kid was unemployed or underemployed dropout had $10,000 of tactical equipment. Somehow he had access to all that. This is the point of the show where we, we, we always reach the point of the show towards the end where we give the disclaimer. From this point forward, we're going to be showing videos that are not for children. Really nothing we've shown to date is for children, but there's going to be some uh, vulgar language that we can't edit out. Bill, I, I want to keep you on the screen to react immediately after this, this is maybe some of the, this is maybe two of the hardest minutes to watch. I think in the history of the rundown, you are literally seeing cops detaining, tasing, cuffing parents, parents who are wondering why the hell no one's going in to save their children. One mother did make it in and she brought her children out alive. That's not in this video, but check this out. Oh, 
Okay, the horror. You see husbands holding wives. You see police uh, establishing a cordon around the building, giving the shooter an hour, a full hour, 60 minutes to shoot as many people as he wanted. Mothers, grandmothers, aunts, uncles, siblings, they're trying to pierce that cordon, that tactical uh, barrier that the police made around the building, built this stinks to high heaven. Can you imagine? Can you, can you imagine being there and your your children, your child, grandchild in the building and <clears throat> the police are doing nothing? It's uh, they're worse than nothing. They're stopping you from yeah. going in. Uh, you know, that's inexcusable. Uh what, it, yes, you, you don't have a tactical unit there. Uh, I saw plenty of uh, police with firearms. Uh, uh, it was their duty to go in and do whatever they could to save those children and to preserve any of the other ones that were in danger. And so uh, we're we're going to have to get to the bottom of this because we can't ex- we can't accept. Mm-hmm. Uh, that story, and you know the the uh, the Biden administration, everybody else has jumped on it to exploit it, to of course point at the firearms and saying, "Oh, well, see, all of the uh, it's all these guns, availability, all these guns. We got to get rid of that. We've got to have more uh, gun control." And uh, it, actually, if they had had uh, some. Uh, parents and or teachers there with uh, concealed weapons, uh, many of those children might not be dead today uh, if they had had proper uh, security at the building. Uh, But, you know, in the the past uh, uh, year since uh, the George Floyd BLM riots and the anti-police rhetoric, even school security officers and police at schools have been kicked out. They said, no, we don't want to have any any of the pigs in in the school. 
In this particular case, uh, when they arrived on the scene, they did more damage than good. Now, I, we haven't confirmed one story. Some of you may have heard of it. Besides the mom who went in and got her child out, her children, I think, got two, two kids out. Uh, there is a report that two law enforcement officers, I think sheriffs or, or police, who had children there, also went in and brought their kids out. Um, so wow. that uh wow. that that is a a, a really uh disturbing uh, thing as well if they allowed them to go in there and they brought out uh students um you know th this uh this can't be allowed to go um un uh, uninvestigated thoroughly and aired as to what really happened there we can't accept and i don't accept the stories that are coming out thus far yeah ryan uh placing yourself in the shoes of a parent who's being barred from saving your child's life for uh, an inexcusable amount of time. Um, I mean, what do you do? They'd have to kill me they, or, or tase me or get me in something that so incapacitated me I couldn't move because I'm sorry. There's nothing that would keep. If I got to the scene and they're just standing there and that psychopath's in there, you know, executing children potentially my children um i'm going in there and i don't give a damn mm -hmm. who you think you are what badge you wear what gives you the right to say oh yeah we're gonna sit here while the psychopath executes these children and the thing is that some people are like oh no no the cops have a hard job no there's a comment in the chat that i'm bringing up and uh I, i'm gonna read it i'm a former cop of 20 years since columbine it is standard practice to immediately enter and engage the shooter this is bunk so, and somebody else echoed that. So the reason I bring that up is because before we came on tonight, actually, uh, as soon as this happened, pretty much, uh, a good friend of mine doesn't live far from me. He's a retired cop from California, local police mm -hmm. department. Another one is a retired federal marshal. Then I have two active duty law enforcement friends. One is a Idaho state trooper and another is a sheriff locally here. Each and every one of them gave me the exact same thing that, that this particular James in the comments gave that since call, they all referenced that because yeah. it is a standard operating procedure since Columbine, it is the job, you know, we take it as our job. The police do not, not me as I'm, I'm not a police officer to go in and to engage the shooter. And as my uh, one retired cop, I know it said, uh, quote, uh, you know, if, if because a, a bullet that, a law enforcement officer takes is a bullet that a civilian is not taking unquote. And that's the standard procedure. That's what you do. It doesn't matter. Even if you're outnumbered, even if, you know, you need to engage the shooter and try to take down the shooter or disable him or whatever. And even Wolf Blitzer referenced that in one of the earlier clips you had, um, that, that is what they're supposed to do. And these cops did not do that. Now, why is it because they're all cowards? Were they told to stand down? And we're, unfortunately, we're probably not going to get that particular information. It's clear enough that they're covering up because of the fact that they keep changing the story, which always happens when the, the media starts covering all these types of shootings. Mm -hmm. And and that leads me to believe, and this is where we're going to get into really gnarly territory. So warning, if you're a coincidence theorist and you don't like conspiracy theory, I'm just going to opine that the story we're being fed is nonsense. You yeah. look at this kid. Um, I, I have not been able to nail down legitimate information on him because uh, now, of course, if you search it, all of that stuff's been coordinated and it's only the official things they want to release about him. 
But we, we do know is he added a Daniel's Designs M4 uh, chambered in 5.56 on an AR platform. Okay, so th- this is, you know, pretty close to, um, you know, the guns the military use. It's a $2,500 gun without accessories. You start adding on the things that apparently the, the a photo released from the scene that I saw earlier showed a grip on it. So that that's that's an extra few hundred bucks. The scope you would have had on it would have been between five hundred and eleven hundred dollars based on the picture I was looking at. I'm not an expert, so I could be wrong about that. But so you're talking about now. If this kid just walked into a gun store and decided, I want to get a gun so I can go, you know, do, do this crazy psychotic thing I'm going to do. Uh, you walk into an average gun store, and I'm sure prices might be a little less in Texas than up here as the sales tax is lower. Uh, you're going to see AR, you know, weapons on an AR platform that are going to cost you $750, $950, um, you have also got pistols as an option. You've got shotguns. You've got a number of other things that are far less expensive. This kid worked at Wendy's. Okay, between this, this again, Daniel Designs M4, not a cheap gun, and the accessories, and the ammo, and the body armor, and everything else he was packing. Uh, we're we're looking at close to ten grand in yeah. gun. Where the hell did he get that kind of money? Yeah, that's the number I came up with independently. Yeah, that, that's that's just what I gather, just looking and pricing online the type of things he had. Prices may vary. Eight to ten grand in yeah. his tactical equipment. And uh, when, if you're just some idiot kid, as the official story makes it look like, uh, he was a loner, lives with grandma, doesn't have any interaction with parents, um, already we're seeing all the red flags for someone who's easily groomed in an intelligence op. And we know this happens story after story after story. Of, uh, there was even one of um, that, that made the rounds on Twitter. I, I don't have it right now. I should have had that ready. Uh, parents complaining that the FBI was grooming their mentally disabled son for uh, criminal activity you know it's uh it's not a ridiculous argument to suggest that maybe some group whether government or not groomed this kid to commit this up because the actual mechanics of it just don't work they don't make sense if you just you some kid that was bullied in school and you yeah. want to get revenge against society you walk into a gun shop and you're and you're on a wendy's budget you're gonna buy a shotgun or you're gonna buy a pistol because let's be honest the ballistics coefficient in 20 yards and i think everyone on here is a gun owner and, and user mike you've been em- deployed with actual military weapons all right and 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 i think it's it, it's not a no-brainer for anyone who's used guns and knows how guns work um if the ballistic coefficients within the realm of a classroom or a mall or a restaurant or whatever it doesn't really matter if you have a pistol or an ar or a shotgun is that you're going to kill whoever you're shooting at in the realm say say of school classroom so why pick this a very expensive ar all right, uh, Air 15, as I imagine it's a civilian style M4. Um, why are you, you know, going to go for that in all these expensive options when you could spend, you know, about $300 for an MP shield and an additional $80 for ammo and magazines, maybe $150 for ammo and magazines, and yeah. call it good. That's, that's all you need to commit this kind of horde tr- atrocity. But no, he's going for the farm. That's a red flag to me. Where that's a huge, I mean, that, that's a huge red flag, the, the, the money and the, the fact that he was given time, James, mm-hmm. huge red flags. The other things that we it seems like we're, we're learning about him. And, and, and again, I'm kind of with Bill 
I don't know what's true and false right now. I hope that we get the official story soon. It's going to be renegade reporters like Bill who do bring the truth to the forefront. But the other thing we're learning is potentially he was already arrested prior, two years prior, for making threats on, on a school shooting. Uh, that he has seen a, a psychotherapist who specializes in in, um, in hypnotizing, hypnosis. Um, you know, he 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 lives with his grandfather, who's a felon who couldn't own a gun anyway, so there couldn't be guns in the house. Um, I, a lot of this just doesn't add. Here's another thing that we learned as well: that one of the teachers who was killed is the spouse of a senior law enforcement officer in Uvalde who that law enforcement officer was responsible running the op on a school shooting drill at Uvalde high school one week prior to the shooting. So this looks and smells a lot like, I mean, it's, it's the Boston bomber. I mean, it has, it has so many characteristics to other things that have happened in American history where, you know, suddenly the Democrats are ready to, to grab your guns as a result. It's so true. I mean, this 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 uh, horrific incident has the hallmarks of every shooting incident since um, JFK and RFK. Matter of fact, when I heard reports of the hypnosis that was taking place, allegedly, first thing I came to mind was uh, Saran Saran. And of course, I, 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 I'm no... Uh, you know, investigator, I can only read what the investigators provide. And there's information out there that uh, sometimes uh, people like this, these people minded people are corralled and they're they're used to such ends, you know, uh, you, you get them going to see a particular doctor, you get them going to see a, uh, a, a particular, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, agency, you know, person who's grooming them for a particular purpose, uh, which they might not even fully understand themselves. And then uh, they're put in a, in a situation where uh, they're trigger actions or trigger words, and then they are let loose. And it's still today, I mean, at this hour, you know, we don't know everything that is out there. We don't know. But what we do know is that things that happened are very strange. Why would the cops set a perimeter just you know a long a long ways away from where the actual shooting was taking place and keep parents back and ryan mm -hmm. just alluded to this you know very specific and i'm going to be very specific if my kids kids were in such a situation there's no there's no gun being held pointed to my chest that would keep me from doing what i i, I feel necessary you know uh, uh to do you know um i don't understand why such uh you know it, why i mean this gross this gross negligence is what i you know it, it, you know at, at face you know it's like you're neglecting the duty which you've been put into you know that uh, town that city you know uh you're, you're you're wearing a badge you have you know you, you have protective armor around you but yet for some uh protocol maybe newly put in who knows i have no idea you know, this smells of like Parkland 2.0. Same thing that happened in Parkland. You know, uh, it, it's it's very it's very very um, fishy. Everything. But one thing I do know is, if if I have children uh, in there, I'm not sitting back to watch them or to hear gunfire and and not run. 
toward that building. And so every officer who's standing there who knows they have children and they're seeing the parents there in so much pain on the floor and they don't have they don't have the human heart in them to say, mm -hmm. let's go find your child. Let's go, you know, or you know what, stay here, ma'am. You know, uh, you, you know, we're we're all gonna go in. Somebody there had to give the order to hey, forget what it is we were told. This is too much. We have to go in. Yeah, nobody did this for, well, for an somebody, hour, somebody for an hour the, long. Somebody yeah. had to give the order, but dozens of police officers had to obey the order. They had that's, to that's follow the order. They had to hide that's behind, and they protocol. all stood there. Yeah. And, and by the way, like just a note on on police protocol. National police protocol evolves over time. As as situations arise, as learning occurs, that knowledge is diffused across the nation. I'll give you a quick example. There was a there was a cop responding to a, a bank robbery, an armed bank robbery, and there were three guys in there. And your standard protocol to disable someone is called a box drill: to the chest, one of the head; to the chest, one of the head. And one of the fastest and most accurate shooters in uh, in this in this particular town, he gets into the bank. To the chest, one of the head. To the chest, one of the head. But by the time he got to the third guy, the third guy shot him. So the protocol changed. You shoot one to the chest in each of the three. Chest, 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 head, head, head. Right? So, and that is that knowledge is diffused across all police departments. So since 1999, since Park uh, uh, Columbine, we know that the, the, the number one thing you do in these school shooting situations, because it's, it's always an 18-year-old, right, is you go in and you kill the 18-year-old. Um, here's the cops, Brother Martin, just saying, oh, well, yeah, maybe we made the wrong decision. As the chief of police of Consolidated Independent School District, he, he was convinced, and again, I want to go back and say, you know, he was convinced at the time that the, there was no more threat to the children and that the subject was barricaded and that they had time to organize with the proper equipment to go in. The subject already had hit, you know, three officers and uh, hit two officers. And there's, I didn't answer the final question. A third, a border patrol agent was grazed as well, but no one was no police officer was seriously injured. Yeah, no police officer was seriously injured, Brother Martin. How great is that? It's, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting, all, all, all of it. I mean... We heard uh, Lieutenant Chris Salivares really give the the I, I don't know what you would call it. The, it was quite, quite an opus. What 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 he was was spilling out to on, on CNN. Uh, you had you had these people go in. You had that people going. You had three officers going through this door. You had three officers going that through that door. You had someone with a ballistic shield go in, and this one eighteen year old with limited equipment, although it be at ten thousand dollars, somehow fought back all of that. Some untrained eighteen year old you know, fought back all of it. Um, but one thing I think that, that maybe some of these Texans were these Texans law enforcement, whatever, who was giving the orders was, was concerned about was, 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 uh, the rules of engagement, how they've changed over time because of, of the, uh, the, uh, BLM movement and all that kind of stuff, uh, George Floyd, that no matter if you win, you still lose that if you engage the shooter and you kill him, if somehow after the fact, you learn new information, whatever, that it was a, it was a water gun, not a real gun. And that he was threatening people with, uh, somehow you, you, the, the the law enforcement agents are at fault. The person who called the shot to, to go in and kill him are at fault, even though it was a, a, a black spray painted water gun, whatever. Um, that somehow there's there's going to be things learned after the fact um, that will bear consequences on the police department and on the people that work there, 
And of course, people are worried about their careers, everything else. Um, and so I, I think there's, there's a lot of cowardice in that respect and, and not wanting to make a, a, a huge national story out of things and trying to keep things quiet. Or, but obvi- obviously, it was, it was completely after the fact. One of the things that I, I was thinking about was the distinction between a sheriff's department and the, and the Metropolitan Police and how Metropolitan Police is, of course, uh, something that's given to us by our, our, our you know, city hall and everything else. And the sheriff is actually elected. So that if you don't like the way the sheriff is in, in, enforcing the law um, and handling these such, sort of situations, you can you can easily vote him out. Uh, and how much we can we can it might make more sense to rely on that kind of thing. But in the videos that we've shown, uh, there was also the, the sheriff's department was there holding people's back, holding people back as well. So it it, it kind of defeats uh, the uh, the advantage the sheriff department would have over uh, over local police. Um, but it, it, it's all it's it, it is very. It, Disconcerting is, is what do we do now? Do we do we back the blue? Do we not? Uh, do we do we uh, support them in, in, in enforcing the law and, and defending us, or or do we not? Um, do we see it as a as a heroic job, or do we not? If they can simply choose what they, they what they engage in or what they don't. Um, this is yeah. I think this is I think the key point, Bill, because I think what the risk here is, and, and, and correct my thinking here, but you've already been able to turn half the population against a police force, policing in general, policing as a concept because of Black Lives Matter, because of St. George Floyd, whose solemnity was was celebrated just two, three days ago, um, almost on the same day of the shooting. Now, with, with this gross negligence in this really fishy case, with, with a, a dozen or more school children now sacrificed uh, a, a day before a huge NRA conference happening in the same vicinity, right? Now you're able to potentially take the other half of the population who would normally back the blue, thin blue line, you know, police supporters, or at least people who support policing in general, and you're going to sour them. I mean, if, if, if it were me, if I were like, you know, an evil genius mastermind, and I were trying to implement communism, Bill, one of the things that I would do is I would sever people's ties with local policing in general, on the right and then on the, on the left. I would sour everyone to the system. That way I could propose my own system of controls as a solution once everyone else sees the cracks in the system. Is that too much for you? Not at all. In fact, uh, I uh, agree with uh, much of what Ryan said, that this smacks of an operation there are so many factors that we see here that have been replayed from previous shootings. The profile of the shooter, uh, so many uh, other factors in the case. And what you're saying is very important. Uh, we already had, over the last two years, particularly with the uh, BLM riots, Antifa riots, uh, the uh, all of the, maybe not half of the population, but a, a certain portion of the population that bought into all of that of uh, uh, off the pigs, uh, prime like bacon, uh, very anti-police, and we've seen bailing out of all of the major police departments in all of the cities that called for defunding the police, abolishing the police. If you're a police officer there putting your life on the line uh, and they don't get that great a pay and 
you're being uh, hit with hate all day long. In the media, you're being persecuted, uh, presented as as just terrible human beings. Uh, and then you're being pelted not only rhetorically, but physically uh, when you're out there doing your duty. And uh, we've had a record number of police officers ambushed and killed. Uh, so why would you why would you stay there? Many of them, for instance, I just did a story which we're running in the New American, another one which I did for the Law Enforcement uh, Foundation Bulletin uh, on Chicago, and they've had 900 police officers last year resign, uh, and only if I, I think I've got this right, 53 that came on board to replace them. Now that's a pretty big. That's wow. a pretty big spread. Uh, and many more are, and, and the previous year, they had almost as bad in the previous year to that as well. And that's the same in Seattle and Portland and Los Angeles in Boston and most of the, Philadelphia. So they're, they're not getting the support from the, from the public and from the, uh, from the media, from the politicians. And in fact, the prosecutors, the George Soros prosecutors that have been put in place in Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Chicago, Boston, uh, San Antonio, uh, Houston, etc. There's over a dozen of them that have been put in with millions of dollars from the, the Soros Fund. They're not prosecuting any of the bad guys. In fact, they're turning them out on the street and they're saying we're not going to prosecute them. So to be, to be a police officer in this day and age is a very difficult task. And so now with the pandemic, we saw the start of the more conservative patriotic Americans turning mm -hmm. against the police because the police have been forced, even though they're not, they're not uh, uh, being allowed to, to arrest people for rioting and burning and arson and all of those things, they were making them uh, uh, arrest and uh, cite and uh, jail people who didn't who violated uh, the COVID-19 mandates or, That's right. or who COVID didn't uh, wear the masks. Yeah. And so that, and in fact, uh, Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago bragged about that. She said, if you violate the, 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 the stay at home or the, the mask or whatnot, we will cite you, we will arrest you and we will prosecute you. And then of course she ignored all of those and she went and got, got her hair done at ignored the mask thing, ignored the socialist distancing, ignored her own order on uh, stay at home. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's what we, we've seen, though. Amer the police were then being, being forced to be the bad guys to put, put in, to enforce all of these uh, very oppressive policies. Now you see something like this with gross negligence, and it is inevitably going to cause a further uh, loss of respect for uh, the police and the push for nationalizing the police. This is That's really right. the end game. You always have to, you see the globalists, the communists when it, are always about centralizing power. That's they right. want a monopoly of power. They want to centralize all guns in the hands of the state so that they will have a monopoly on, on power, the police power. They can't have... 40,000 different local police units of police departments and sheriff's departments, they want one central police authority. Yeah. 
-hmm. And it's the same with all of the other uh, executive regulatory agencies. They want to have all of that centralized and uh, and formalized in under under their control. Uh, bad idea, very bad plan. Uh, if you treasure your freedom, if you want to be to be a tyrant and to exercise total communist style, Chinese style control over everybody, it's a very good plan. Yeah. Uh Let's do uh, Ryan, James, and brother reacting to sort of this 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 policing thing. And let me just throw one more one more thing into the into the mix, and you can react to this or not. You know, people are saying we need to have more guns in schools. We need to arm the teachers. We need to have more. You know, when we get to our groomer segment, which we always get to, and we're going to show you some teachers. These are not the kinds of people that I want to hand a gun to. A B, I don't want to turn schools into prisons. Um, I don't want to turn schools into, you know, in, institutions that are, you know, gray concrete uh, uh, communist cells of, of you know. So I, I think the real conversation is, should we even have public schools? That's just my own personal opinion. I want to throw it to Ryan and then James and the brother to react to, Anything that you've heard so far, the, the turning of people against policing, nationalization of the police force, uh, the, 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 the various conspiracies that appear to be like really obvious in this case, the $10,000 of equipment, the part time at, at Wendy's, the, 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 the hypnosis, the, uh, the, the weird online connections between him and the Buffalo shooter, potentially anything that you've heard or seen. Final thoughts on Uvalde, Brian. I think uh, it plays in more with the narrative of demonizing. And like I mentioned, the fact that he had a Daniels design M4, uh, which is a very expensive gun. When if he, he was determined to get an AR, there are many cheaper ones out there or he could have built one himself for, you know, maybe six or 700 bucks um, or bought one for eight or nine. And, it's, uh, you know, so why the AR? Again, and, and that's where the media focuses every time you get back to that term assault rifle, which now I'm sorry, the AR platform is one of the most versatile platforms out there. Um, it, it is extremely, if you, if you learn it on, you learn how to use one, you can use anything on the AR platform, no matter what round it happens to be chambered in. It's yeah. versatile. I mean, you look at 5.56 five, NATO or two two three. And there's debates amongst uh, the, the really experienced gun, you know, uh, gun aficionados about um, whether or not you should use that or the other. I mean, you got to know your gun and you got to know the headspace in it for, for those calibers. You know, there's that. But if you're, you're shooting coyotes around your property, um, if you're in a self-defense situation tactically around your house against a lot of assailants, like in a uh, apocalypse situation where you have gangs come in your house um and things like that it, it is an extremely useful weapon for defense in those circumstances uh hunting it can be useful although i'd really recommend you hit you do something to chamber 762 if you're going to go after deer just to make sure you got that stopping power but um you know it, it is very useful for defense all these idiots come out there oh it's, it's, it's only purpose is to attack i'm sorry that's just simply not true um, there's lots of reasons to have one, not all of which are even varmints. And so, I mean, if a mob comes to your house and is breaking in, uh, that, that's going to be the thing that saves you and your children and your family. Um, yeah. 
and, and we could go on and on about that, but they want to make sure you don't have an error. Now, I said earlier, and, and I've, I've talked to a number of people who are extremely experienced with uh, in web. I'm an amateur. I know how to use what I use. I know how to you know, take apart, clean, put back together everything that I personally own, uh, except for the lever action. I don't want to mess with the lever. I give that to an expert. But um, I know exactly what to do with that. But I'm not an expert in all these every last type of gun, right? And I don't have to be. I just need to know what I've got. And with with that being said, um, the ballistic coefficients of a pistol and you know an AR in, in close quarters, you're probably better off with a pistol, frankly, in close quarters. You know, within 15 yards or, or, or less, 20 yards even or less. Uh, when you get out, you know, I mean, the, the AR is extremely useful in so many things. But if we're talking about what's going to scare a tyrannical government that wants to come in and force, uh, you know, the, the injections against uh, some new unspecified virus of unspecified lab origin, or if you want to, you know, whatever it is you particularly want to do, and you're going into an area where everybody's caught an AR, which is just a step down from your military M4. And frankly, you really don't. I mean, everyone freaks out about it. Uh, you know, if you, an automatic weapon really isn't, and Mike, you can attest to this, almost every military person I know and veteran that I know has talked about this, uh, full auto doesn't really get you all that much because it's not terribly accurate. So if the government is coming in, they're like, you know, the people that they're are being told, you're right, you have to enforce this. And they know they're going to a hostile population, all of whom have ARs. They're going to be terrified about the prospect of doing this because they know they're going to lose people. That's why they want to demonize everything on the AR. They want to get that, get rid of that. Uh, they especially want to demonize AR-15. They don't so much attack AR-10s or other platforms chambering AR. They're, they're specifically on things that chamber 5.56 five, or 223 because it's a light round. It's easier to get. And yep. although it is high powered, when I say light, I mean, it's you can get a lot of it and you can carry it around with you. And it's very effective uh, for those things. That scares governments. Yeah, they have tanks. Yeah, they have bombs. Yeah, they have all the all these different things. But when it comes to the individual enforcement of specific things they want to do in populations, there's got to be boots on the ground doing that. And that's a scary thing for them. So again, again, they're always going to be demonizing the AR, even though all statistics show that it's pistols that are the most uh, used weapon in shooting deaths. It is pistols, not you know, ARs, not rifles, not shotguns, pistols. And after that is knives. And then it's rifles. But, you know, they, 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 you know, pistols are only effective in close quarters, you know, and so that that's why they, they want to get rid of the AR, because if you want an infantry that can actually function against a force they have to send in, it's going to be a lot of people with AR-15s are going to do it. So they need that demonized. They need to go collect those. They need the gun bite, make it illegal, put you in jail for having it, whatever, before, you know, to soften things up before they actually go in door to door with things like that. So that's why I think that's, you know, in, in all these ops, that's always what's there. It's always an AR-15. Liberals who don't know anything about guns are always going to freak out because it looks like what a soldier is going to carry, even though any soldier, even in the National Guard, is going to look and see so you've got an AR and be like, yeah, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. they, they can see the difference immediately, even if we civilians can't necessarily. James, on mute. Uh, your final thoughts on Uvalde. 
So um, we have a uh, police state situation unfolding uh, before us, but we don't want to throw away the baby with the bathwater. I mean, what's really unfolding right now is sort of a Hegelian uh, dialectic situation uh, on our hands, and it's it's exactly what the globalists want, and they're fun, they're fun of this, right? So they they all push and pull, and then we're given a compromise in the end. In this case, uh, it's the guardians of the state, you know, as in Plato's Republic, who do the bidding of the philosopher kings. And we all will go along with this because we, we, we see it as some sort of veritable compromise because, you know, we're going to be promised, well, you know, if you just give this power back to us, we will uh, make sure these guardians are under our tutelage and we'll teach them everything they need to know and you'll have no, no want of justice anymore because these people are going to be given uh you know every resource you know in our control to make sure that they, that they are serving uh justice and this is what the end game is is you know is uh if we sort of uh throw away the baby of the bath and water we're going to end up with a situation like this that we can't control what we should do from a far own good is to always control the situation on a uh, local level you know rather than write out and ban local policing what we can do is to change the rules of engagement and uh, we can sort of uh, give our uh, localities a, a boost, you know, and have things working for us to our advantage. So that when things, uh, you know, are sort of getting out of control, we can always push back a little bit rather than giving up all power. And essentially, uh, you know, to, to those who basically would salivate at any idea of, uh, you know, uh, any idea of basically having uh, power to affect, uh, you know, a globalist agenda. We don't want that at all. And so uh, we don't want to fall for the scam. But, um, there's, you know, the, I mean, the, every, everything we're experiencing in 2022, it's a growing pain toward an end that we don't want. And whether or not it's going to be here or not, we have to continue pushing back against it. And that means sometimes sitting down and, uh, you know, really sort of thinking about the next step, the next two steps, the next three steps, rather than just the next step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brother Martin, final thoughts on uh, Uvalde, Texas. It's very, it's very easy to get emotional about these things because, I mean, obviously they're grave. I mean, children died, uh, were slaughtered, literally slaughtered. Um, but I think we should patiently wait for more information to unfold precisely to know how we should react regarding law enforcement. Obviously, in and of itself, law enforcement is a good thing. Um, uh but if, if there is someone trying to manipulate law enforcement for us to go against them, to, for us to dis, distrust uh, institutions that we should be confiding in, um, we obviously need to know who's, who's behind the paywall, so to speak, um, to, to really know who we should be going after and what, what should, we should really be distrusting. So um, before getting all emotional about all this kind of stuff, um, that, that's going to continue to see what, what – what unfolds search for the right information because the mainstream media shouldn't or we can't trust them to, to give us the complete truth it might be like the las vegas uh shooter where you know three three four days later just just drops out of out of the news and we never learn anything more about it um but also it, it's another wake-up call to those that uh that don't have concealed carry weapons have at least some sort of modicum of defense of your own family um to consider it because um, if, if it's true that the law enforcement don't have an obligation to go in and save your children, then you have that responsibility as, as, as parents to, to protect your children. And also as a wake-up call also that uh, public schools, public schools, public law enforcement, 
they didn't get the job done. So, so all this public, 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 common good nonsense. Um, it's obviously it's there's a huge default. There's there's a huge fault somewhere um, that is that isn't doing its job. Yeah. All right. Our final segment tonight is going to be on social issues. Quick reminder, if you are just like in a glaze right now, if your eyes are glazed over. Go ahead and subscribe, like the video, put a comment in there and send it to your friends. I mean, we're spitting gold here. This is the rundown, people. The rundown is the premier. This is the gold standard. And don't forget. I'm going to send him to outer space to find another race. We haven't even talked about Elon Musk at all today, and I'm, I'm shocked that we haven't done that. Okay, quick programming note. Ladies and gentlemen, when we talk about social issues, your children shouldn't be around, okay? There's going to be some nasty stuff, but this is stuff that especially men need to see. First video for you tonight Vintage Joe Biden. Man, I wish I wish this was the Joe Biden sitting in the White House right now. Handbasket. We are desperately concerned about the circumstance relating to uh, avian flu. We don't have enough vaccines. We don't have enough police officers. And we're going to debate the next three weeks, I'm told, gay marriage, a flag amendment, and God only knows what else. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We already have a law. The Defense of Marriage Act, where we've all voted, not where I voted and others said, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. What's the game going on here? And Well, the fake Catholic usurper in chief, uh, Joe Biden, has certainly evolved on the issue. But one person who's woken up to it, and I'm going to play a fairly long clip to uh, tee us into this issue from a guy that we don't often agree with, to be honest. He's a liberal and his name's Bill Maher. But on this issue, he is so, so right. And he's fed up. And finally, new rule if something about the human race is changing at a previously unprecedented rate. We have to at least discuss it. Broken down over time, the LGBT population of America seems to be roughly doubling every generation. According to a recent Gallup poll, less than 1% of Americans born before 1946, that's Joe Biden's generation, identify that way. 2.6% of boomers do, 4.2% of Gen X, 10.5% of millennials, and 20.8% of Gen Z. Which means if we follow this trajectory, we will all be gay in 2054. <laughs> and then who's going to buy this chair? <laughs> I'm just saying that when things change this much, this fast, people are allowed to ask, what's up with that? All the babies are in the wrong bodies? Was there a mix-up at the plant? Like with Captain Crunch's Oops All Berries? <laughs> it wasn't that long ago when adults asked a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? They meant what profession?
In the wake of America about to lose abortion rights, the ACLU recently tweeted a list of those who would be disproportionately harmed by this. You would think women might top that list. No, wasn't even on the list. Second on the list was LGBT. Really? Abortion rights affects gay and trans people more than, you know, breeders? (laughs) I'm happy for LGBT folks that we now live in an age where they can live their authentic lives openly. And we should always be mindful of respecting and protecting. But someone needs to say it. Not everything's about you. And it's okay to ask questions about something that's very new and involves children. The answer can't always be that anyone from a marginalized community is automatically right, trump card, mic drop, end of discussion. Because we're literally experimenting on children. Maybe that's why Sweden and Finland have stopped giving puberty blockers to kids. Because we just don't know much about the long-term effects. Although common sense should tell you that when you reverse the course of raging hormones there's going to be problems. We do know it hinders the development of bone density, which is kind of important if you like having a skeleton. (laughs) Fertility and the ability to have an orgasm seem also to be affected. This isn't just a lifestyle decision. It's medical. Weighing trade-offs is not bigotry. Yet when a book questioning the sudden uptick in transitioning children was released, a trans lawyer with the ACLU named Chase Strangio tweeted, Stopping the circulation of this book and these ideas is 100% a hill I will die on. How very civil liberties of him. Chase, by the way, has just been named one of the grand marshals of this year's New York City Pride March, along with three other trans people and a lesbian. Huh, what's missing here? Oh, right, a gay man. So, for those of you that don't know, my name is Lyric. Um, today, making a video that isn't like the other content that I typically make. Um, basically, I'm raising money to help fund my son's transition-related costs. I'm sharing this with his permission. Um, basically, we already have a diagnosis of gender dysphoria for him. Um, we have gotten his blood work done, and we need to start him on puberty blockers as soon as possible. Now, I personally, I didn't, I transitioned later, so I wasn't familiar with how puberty blockers worked. Um, basically, my insurance doesn't cover this, which is wonderful, right? Um, the generic version of Lupron, that we have a 22.5 milligram dose that is going to cost out of pocket $468.00 per shot and each shot lasts three months so we need four of these a year um what close to two thousand dollars um i have already exhausted most of my funds i need help i want to raise money to help cover his transition related costs as um it's very difficult to come out with that sort of money. Okay, Bill, we've now uh, crossed into an age where uh, we are crowdfunding for the systematic chemical child abuse 
of our own children and the recruitment of them into disordered lifestyles um, is this has to be the end times. I mean, there's, there's no other way to say it. Well, it is, it gets more frightening day by day. Um, I was at last year, uh, two of the drag queen story hours, which featured individuals like the one you just saw doing very dressed, very abominably and, uh, carrying out very risque, uh, programs with the children and the chill. What are the children doing there? Well, many of their parents were like this parent. You have to ask yourself since how was it that we got to a point where an individual like this and his significant other ended up with children. And, uh, so, uh, this has been something that seems to have happened overnight, but it didn't. This has been going on for many years, developing uh, sub rosa until it got to the point where they become audacious and more in your face. And I wrote a, a story uh, for the New American Magazine over 30 years ago entitled The Queering of America. And many of the things I said that would be happening, of course, are now happening, such as this. Um, and it was all predicted and all pre-planned. And I featured mostly the book, which you may have featured on your program here. But this was over 30 years ago. It was a book called After the Ball by Marshall Kirk mm -hmm. and Hunter Madsen. And they were two Harvard-trained uh, psychologists, marketing psychologists, and they're they're both queer and their book after the ball was subtitled how america will lose its fear and loathing of homosexuality in the 90s and they actually set out look we're going to gradually psychologically jam the american people uh he said most people are not going to accept all of this these new changes in sexual mores but we can gradually acclimate them to it and we're going to do it through the media through the schools we're going to saturate all of our our social context with sex of all different kinds all different uh variations and pretty soon people will become inured to it and we will demonize and he gave scenarios how to demonize christians conservatives people who cling to mm -hmm. uh traditional notions of morality, particularly Christian notions of morality. And uh, even those people who are not particularly religious, but who still uh, believe that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, we're going to change all of that. And they've methodically done that. And at the beginning of my story, I, I uh, cited at that time, Disney, at, at that time, it was um, the CEO was... Uh, Oh, shoot. I can't think of his name right now. Anyway, he was speaking to the homosexual organization. Human rights. It would have been uh, Michael Eisner, I think. Eisner. Eisner. Yes, Michael Eisner. He was speaking there. Elizabeth Birch was the president of it at that time. And she was introducing him. And she said, and we give great uh, kudos to Disney because they have, and she gave X percentage of their 
their uh, creators at Disney uh, are uh, uh, LGB. That was when before it was, there was an LGBTQ, LMNOP, XYZ, you know, uh, the whole litany of, of perversions. And uh, so when he got up, he thanked her and he said, but you're wrong. He says, it isn't uh, 12%, it's 33% of our, of our creators and whatnot are LGB. Uh, and so that got a great big round of applause. But the point of it is, this was decades ago, and they've been penetrating, infiltrating all of society so that now you have it not only out in the open in the schools, but they're now persecuting the cisgender, the straight, heterosexual uh, community. And just like with Chris, uh, critical race theory, where uh, everything uh, that, is, that is white is, is uh, oppressive, everything that is Caucasian is oppressive. Uh, now everything that is cisgender, their term, don't use it, don't, don't legitimize it, but every, everything that is straight, heterosexual, is evil. And they have successfully done this so that you see, they say, we're going to get all of our characters into the television programming, all of the movies. We're going to have more coming out uh, themes. Everything is going to be saturated to the point where Americans will at least just get to the shoulder shrug stage. They'll say, oh, well, that's the way it is. Uh, if, if not actually love us. Uh, so we we're, that's where we are today, and and if we allow this to continue, uh, and it we will see uh, total degeneracy throughout all of society. I, I live in a more sheltered part of the country now. I I left uh, Planet California, came back to my home state, uh, and so there is a bit of a uh, a respite here, but uh, it's. Uh, penetrating everywhere because the media, the social media, the entertainment industry uh, is so diabolical and penetrating. And the education system. Yes. Mm -hmm. As if what we've seen isn't bad enough, as if I haven't given uh, you, you find folks enough to react to, Ryan. Um, what I, what I want to show next is a practical example of the institution of marriage breaking down in this new world order of, um, of, of, of brand new concepts never before really released on, on Americans. This is the normalization of the absolute destruction of marriage. Viewer warning is discussed is, um, prescribed here. Hi, my name is Anna and I'm in a polyamorous relationship. Normally when people think polyamory, they think two women and a man in a thruple type relationship together, but that's not what polyamory is. I mean, that's one type of polyamory, but polyamory is an umbrella term for many different types of non-monogamous relationships. I call my type of relationship a polycule or a constellation because it looks like a molecule or a constellation. There are several people involved in various different ways and more people have joined than the last time I did one of these. So let's give a little update. I'm sure you can follow along just fine. Okay, so in the center of it all is obviously me. Here's me, in case you forgot. I run this account, I have bright orange hair. I am married to Jake. There's Jake, super cute. We currently live together. I am also dating Spencer. Here's Spencer. We've been together for a while, but are not currently living together. I am also dating Ellie. 
She's my newest relationship, but just as important as all the others. Now Ellie is platonic life partners with Izzy. Here's Izzy. And that just means they plan on spending the rest of their lives together without any romance or sex involved. Now Izzy is also casually seeing Spencer. Here's Spencer again, just in case you forgot. Remember, Spencer is dating me. And I am married to Jake. Now Jake is currently dating Rocket. This is Rocket. They are very hot and very tall. Rocket also has another long-term relationship with his girlfriend. Also has a queer platonic relationship with another partner. These partners don't wish to be included, which is perfectly fine. But that means y'all are not going to push to see them. Now remember, I am only dating Ellie and Spencer and I'm married to Jake. Those are the only three people I'm involved with. This person, this person, and Izzy could all have other partners. But seeing as they're not involved in my inner polycule, I don't know, and that's okay. Anyways, this is why we call it a polycule or a constellation. You know I carry a gun, right? <laughs> you, don't want, <laughs> you don't want me to blow out my computer screen or my head. Uh, uh, or... What do we even do with this? What do we even do with this? This is what oh, they're pushing as normal. I mean, there really is nothing you can do because it's a level of disorder uh, that is so great. Such a, uh, you know, I go back to what Bill was talking about. And, uh, you know, he was talking about in the 90s, kind of the normalization. And I remember as a 16-year-old, this would have been uh, 95, I think, 94, depending which end of it was. Um, Seinfeld did an episode where this reporter thought Jerry and George were gay. And then, you know, so then, you know, be like, oh, no, she thinks we're gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And that was part of the gag. Every time mm-hmm. they would say she thinks we're gay, they would add on. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Because uh, that's the direction everything was going at that time. And it's just, it's kind of, a, you know, ludicrous. Because that's, there is something wrong with that, actually. Sorry. Um it, but that that's part of that, you know, the Hollywood element of normalizing things. And and I see this and I think of Hollywood celebrities. Yeah, obviously, today we have the Johnny Depp and Amber Turd trial, which I, I think is rather a bit of an act in general. Um, she's a odd, odd piece of work. Uh, Johnny Depp uh, is not the greatest human being that ever was, but doesn't seem to be what she's making him out to be. I mean, whatever about any of that. But it, a lot of it's a show, like Hollywood marriages so often are a show. How many divorces in Hollywood? But that's part of what shapes culture, and people want to be like that. That's just one of many avenues where this has kind of been put out. And I kind of I, I think back to Buster Keaton uh, way back in the day, uh, old movies. He played a lot of bad guys in various bl- old black and whites. And some reporter asked him once, hey, uh, why is it that uh, you don't have any girlfriends and that, that you, you're faithful to your wife? Which, what kind of question is that? And he just said, why? Why do I want a hamburger when I can have steak? Um, which today that would be taken terribly offensively. But what his meaning was within the context of the, the 1930s was, why would I take a lesser thing for a, be- a more perfect good? Is really what he was getting at. Not, not trying to turn his wife into the idea of meat, but just say, hey, look, I've got a more perfect good here. Why do I want the lesser good is what he was trying to say. And so, uh, and, and that's, everyone's abandoned the whole notion of the, the better, the perfect good. And we've accepted the particular good. Uh, that is the, the, something that might be good, you know, without the real circumstances of the world. So sex is a good. But then when you add in the circumstances of these things, oh, yeah, well, I'm not married to this person. Um, now it's an evil. 
right? And, and so many things. It's like when you isolate a good and you don't take account of its circumstances, it makes the act evil. And there's so many ways where basically that's how the devil brought down Adam and Eve was their attachment to the particular good. That's how the devil has brought down monarchies and society or otherwise rightly ordered societies is people's attachment to the particular good. And that's how he brought down the church after Vatican II was the attachment to the particular good, in that case, human respect and, and, and other, other you know, situations. And so here we are today where the full effects are where you're not worried about the circumstances of your actions and the, the effects of them and natural law and, and things of this sort. So, oh, yeah, Paul Emery says so, so the, the ridiculous smorgasbord that this lady is laying out of her sexual constellation, if that's, that's the way she wants it. Chesterton puts it this way. The man who knocks at the door of a brothel seeks a good. And and he's using this paradoxical phrase to get to the point of, well, yeah, because sex in and of itself is good. But then you add in the circumstances, it's actually quite bad, like a brothel, for example, and, and so on and so forth. So in this case, it's because there's no concept of natural law. There's no concept of detachment. There's no concept of removing yourself from the particular good that seems good in this aspect, but actually isn't. And... Uh, the whole notion, even even remaking natural law, people have no notion of natural law today. It's so effaced uh, because St. Thomas deals with this. Well, can the natural law be effaced? And he says, well, well, you can't actually, because the more you sin, the more the more there's a disconnect with what, what's naturally true, even though you know it to be true at a very deep level. You're, you've accepted intellectually propositions that fight against it. And so. Uh, and it's like this kind of setup. Uh, you commit a sin and you're like, well, that was bad. But eventually you stop and you say, yeah, OK, I committed the sin and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. And then eventually you stop, you apostatize or something. You just stop practicing the faith and you're like, or you never were in the faith. And you're like, yeah, that's good. And you're just dealing with the natural element. And the other people don't do that, but I'm doing that. So it's OK. And then the next thing is, why aren't people doing that? And now, once you get down the road, the fact that people aren't doing this is now itself a judgment on you. And we've seen that with, you know, the, for example, the, the gay movement, where it was, hey, we just want to be tolerated, man. We're not offending anybody. We're not attacking anybody. We, we just want toleration. They get toleration. And what's the next step? Hey, man, you know, not only that, we need special rights. They get special rights. And now uh, it's, uh, hey, if you wouldn't sleep with a gay man, you're obviously a homophobe. And then that's communicated to every other L alphabet letter of the LGBTQ. So that now you see articles regularly. If you wouldn't sleep with a trans whatever, that's whatever it is in relation to you, then you're obviously a transphobe. And they put these articles out there. But they really believe it, just as the people in Hollywood are making crap movies because they're making it for their peers, not for you. So also, when they write these articles, they're writing it for their peers because they live in their own little world where all these things are perfectly natural and acceptable because they've so effaced natural law. They've gone so far beyond, and they're so attached to that particular good. You can't root them away from that. So today was full of little happy gender euphoria moments. I got called Mr. Micah a lot today. Well, completely femme. And that was really heartwarming that the kids just got it. But my favorite reaction, and it sums me up so well, I feel like, 
is uh, I was in a new classroom and I took off my mask to blow my nose and I just hear a kid loudly whisper, oh, she's a boy. And I was like, yeah, you got it, kid. You totally got it. James, this is a, this is a public school teacher who some people want to hand a gun to so that uh, he, she, it, they, Z, whatever can stop uh, an active shooter situation. Yeah, it's that's something. When someone who does not know, um, yeah, I mean, Ryan just encapsulated everything, and you know, this person has no idea of what natural law is. They don't understand what it means to uh, to basically have a soul and to have that soul uh, be directed toward God. They don't have all these things. A seven-year-old would normally know and understand the commandments, how to uh, serve God, love God. Uh, and, uh, we want to hand them, uh, well, first of all, the first step, right? The first step, first misstep is putting them in any sort of authority over children in a school. That's the first misstep, right? And the second misstep is to think that they have the wherewithal to, to actually protect children in any grave danger or any remote danger when they're, they themselves are actually putting the children in very grave, immediate and remote danger, you know, uh, coming to the school dressed like that and having discussions with children uh, about things that don't concern uh, the kids and have no place in a decent moral society, you know, that's endangering the children. So by virtue of having someone like that sit in the classroom and sort of pontificate, or maybe in this case to to sort of try, try to draw or to implant things into the children's uh, minds. This is what they've all they, they've wanted all along, right? And this is that book which uh, Jasper was just was just uh, talking about with uh, Matson and uh, Kirk, is it Kirk Matson? Yeah, uh, it's a very very terrible situation. You know, uh, we've you remember back in the '80s and '90s? You know, it was like Ryan was saying, yeah, you know, we're laughing, we're creating uh, fun, and you know, you have the effeminate character in the movies, and you laugh about it. And then it turns to the 90s and now they want to have their own TV shows and they want to talk about, oh, well, you know, the first gay kiss on television or, you know, uh, people are uh, coming out and all these sort of ridiculous things, which we've been forced to forced to accept, you know. Uh, So this is basically the the, we're seeing the the uh, the telos of all that nonsense, which we were kind of forced to, to live through. How did we not expect this would happen? And then now uh, conservatives without thinking are saying, let's hand teachers guns. And that's the thing right there that you just showed that is going to be uh, protecting the children with a firearm. No way. Yeah. It can do. Yeah. What do you think we input. need to do? Oh, oh we need a revolution. Yeah. And we need it no, now. Not, not later. Now. Unless- All right. Now. She's right. We need it now. We need and we need a quick wake up so that we can give you the unpopular opinions and do the grifting segment. Ooh, I'm awake. Are you awake? All right, let's do that. Um, why don't we why don't we do the unpopular opinions first? Brother Martin's abstaining this week so that our special guest this week, Bill Jasper with New American Magazine, can uh, can participate because what we've informed Bill finally. This is the second time on the rundown, but the first time we were negligent, more negligent perhaps than the Uvalde Police Department, in letting him know um, the rules of the road here 
on the rundown. You have to come prepared with an unpopular opinion so that it can go out on Twitter and it can be voted upon. So while Ryan, I think you have it. Yes, you have it. James is our reigning champion from last week with a decisive win. This wasn't a two-point win. This was well beyond the margin of error. James's unpopular opinion last week was that you don't have to be in love to be married. And Affirmative action. I can't believe, honestly, everyone, <laughs> everyone thought everyone thought hey, I was going to clean up. I came know. in third because I was bashing yeah. spinsters. I, two I dollar bill came in second. To, I told you guys. To be fair, I was dead last for the last four weeks. So you I were. You were. Yeah. I I thought that I thought that just bashing women was a sure way to continue to win. Just yeah, don't tell don't, don't tell a certain journalist that Spencer's aren't in style now because they're not they're not unpopular. So. I might have the opportunity to tell that to her face on Tuesday, but that's a different story. Okay, Woo! so um, we are going to do the unpopular opinions. We always start with Ryan. Ryan, you are up. Unpopular opinion for this week, Friday, the twenty seventh of May. Uh, one second. <clears throat> Sorry, I get my tobacco in powdered form. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, Brian is taking so, a hit literally live on the internet, taking a hit. So, my un- unpopular opinion is uh, we saw a lot, of course, a lot of virtue signaling from bishops, of course, after the shooting, which is tragic. And I don't mean just mean tragic and thoughts and prayers and all that nonsense. I lost a daughter. And we had a friend in my parish that lost a child. So I understand just just recently, somebody I know had lost his son uh, to a, to a terrible accident. So I know very much the pain of losing a child. I don't trivialize, you know, kids dying or whatnot, but I especially have no respect for people who want to trivialize, trivialize the suffering that parents go through to push political positions, uh, especially right in the moment, Um, at least give it, a week or two weeks to bury the dead and then come into it. Right. So it, there's all the virtue signaling about the shooting and, and, and so many things, but I'm going to say something really controversial. That's really going to tick people off on a lot of sides. And it's that, so St. Thomas teaches that blasphemy is a worse sin than murder. And he says, because and then he's not talking about in the way we civilly punish it. He's talking about objectively how God sees sin. Blasphemy is a far worse crime than murder because it makes God its object, whereas murder makes a created thing, a creature, its object. And so the same thing with uh, desecration of the Holy Eucharist. And so I'm going to say that contrary to certain people, uh, you know, making certain tweets and whatnot, Nancy Pelosi defying her, you know, the, the you know, not only Bishop Cordelione, but Bishop Vasa. And the other bishops where she owns her multiple homes, uh, saying that she is not allowed to receive communion, defying those bishops and continuing to receive communion in a grave state of public sin and scandal is a worse crime than what this psychopath did to those poor kids in Texas. And I know that's not going to sit well, but when we're talking about it, remember, I'm talking about in the objective way that God sees sin, that this is a worse crime. Than, 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 than killing a person because it's desecration of the Holy Eucharist, which is our Lord. And, and if we don't believe that, that I seriously think that you should examine your belief in the Eucharist. And I'm not kidding about that. As someone who has lost a child and knows what that pain is, I'm going to, you know, just, just pull back. 
offenses against God are worse, directly against God, not not indirect, but direct, where you say, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take communion anyway to St. Paul says you eat and drink condemnation upon yourself, as Pelosi has done, because you make God the object of your sin. So that's my unpop. All right, James. Is muted. <laughs> I, I know I'm muted. I, I, I'm muted because I don't have anything to say. That's why I'm muted. <laughs> you have you have seven days to prepare, James. I had seven days to prepare. <laughs> I, 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 I say that because I don't have one prepared, and I, I'll, I'll jump to Bill if you need two more minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. Jump, jump to Bill. I might, I might come up. I'm still working some things out. <laughs> I trust Mr. Jasper. I trust you have come prepared with an unpopular opinion. To compliment you, all of you gentlemen for your charity in a not pointing out a uh, embarrassing situation with um, with me here. Uh, you can see. Uh, couple nights ago, I got in a bar fight with Steven Seagal, and uh, he knocked out one of my teeth. And uh, But you should see him. And so <laughs> I, was supposed to, I was supposed to go to the uh, dentist and get that uh, a new tooth put in. And uh, it was supposed to be ready in time yesterday. And so my vanity almost made me reschedule this program, but I said that wouldn't be fair to you. So I humbly decided to go ahead and against my vanity appear on here. And you, none of you uh, made fun of me. So, and, and you also didn't make fun of my Bolo Benedictine uh, get up here. <laughs> so oh, we thought that was cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. Being uh, you know, we're out here in the West. Yeah. We got to show it sometimes. Right. Uh, being but, Texan, that, that's a good sign. So uh, this is probably going to tick off a lot of people because I know even in traditional Catholic communities, because I've been in many of them for the last 45 years, that the sportsters who <laughs> are addicted to sports, so much so that on Sundays, they rush out of church immediately to watch the football games or the other uh, sports things that are on, especially when it's Super Bowl weekend. Uh, this has been a real pet peeve uh, of mine for a condemnation of American masculinity uh, because it is, it is really... A, even though I, I'm all in favor of sports and recreation, I, I, I love hunting, fishing, boating, hiking, camping, football, basketball, all the sports. And I was athletic at one time in my before I became a total geezer. But um, it is truly a uh, an affliction that uh, is having huge impact on our society dads and young men are well first of all part of it is the sports aren't even personal or they're, they're vicarious most most people these days most men are watching other professionals perform the sports 
when they should be spending more time with their family, with their communities, and fighting the real battles. We're called to be soldiers of Christ, to be warriors in a battle. And we are losing the war and have lost many battles because we haven't shown up on the battlefield. There's no uh, excuse for us to be having millions of babies slaughtered while we're watching football. I mean, I have occasion, it's been a while now since I've watched football. I won't watch the NFL uh, even before they started taking a knee when they started having all of their other uh, salacious uh, things on there. It's uh, sports have been, particularly professional sports, have been taken over by the enemy. And uh, we shouldn't be falling victim to them and allowing them to victimize our children and our society. So I say it's time for Christian men, Catholic men to buck up and really take on the manly duties of real combat and uh, leave all those children's games behind or at least exercise them in moderation, in proportion, not in ordinate uh, indulgence like we see uh, throughout our society. Okay. All right. I think we got the gist. James the Greater. Are you ready? First light. Gotcha. Yes. Good. You're unmuted. <laughs> You're on the screen. You're full screen. I know I'm full screen. I said, do you want to go, Mike? Okay, okay. fine. I'll go. Fine, fine, fine. Yeah. All right. My unpopular opinion this week is that the term modesty is overused and almost exclusively used for one sex. Most people refer to the word modesty exclusively in relation to women. What I have found to be most disgraceful and discouraging is the fact that men have no concept of what modesty means. Look, every virtue, every Catholic virtue uh, is a sub-virtue of one of the four cardinal virtues. So when you're talking about modesty, what you're, the, the, it is a sub-virtue of temperance. And modesty needs to be understood alongside things like decorum, uh, it is ordered towards uh, chastity. It is ordered uh, towards discretion. Um, it is related to all these things. And the fact of the matter is, is that you will very often in traditional Catholic circles find the man who will wear cargo shorts and a T-shirt who is demanding that the women in his life, that the women in his purview, in his field of view, all dress appropriately so that he is not tempted or scandalized. They had better be covered from elbows to knees and everything in between, uh, or, or perhaps even more than that. Whereas this guy's wearing flip-flops, flipping hamburgers and hot dogs on the weekends and watching foosball like what Bill Jasper was referring to. I think that that modesty for men is something that we don't talk about very often. And it doesn't necessarily mean just the covering of the body. 
merely re reducing the ver the magnificent virtue of modesty to veiling your body parts from other people is uh, is to cut it short. Is to is to is to kneecap the virtue. The virtue of modesty is is it's it's your comportment. It is your disposition. It is how you are seen, not only by God and by the angels and by the saints in heaven and by your holy um, angel, by your guardian angel, but it's also, and, and this is how it also relates to justice, how other people have to see you. So I think that men need to buck up and quit being effeminate little comfort snivelers, people who just want to be comfy all the time. As I tell my sons, you were made for glory, not for comfy. And um, and I think that modesty amongst men is something in the traditional world that we just don't give enough thought to. And it doesn't. And, and also, by the way, something can be immodest even if it covers you. If you wear a blazer that is a hundred times too big for you, it's it's immodest. It is an offense against modesty. Um, and so I'm not talking about being a, uh, you know, look, act like a man, dress like a man, James, your time is up. Your time is up. <laughs> anyway, I've been thinking of a way to fine tune my popular opinion all week and I just can't do it. So I'm just going to drop it in here. It's still a little, uh, little, it's very rough, not a little rough, very, very rough, but, um, I was leaning toward the idea. I know we have uh, a religious, uh, religious uh, that have uh, beards, but I'm leaning towards the idea of saying we need to bring back uh, beards for the uh, secular priests. That's it. Unpopular opinion. I mean, I don't, don't look. Don't give me that. Don't give me that. Don't give me that face. The reigning champion. This is all you have. The reigning champion. That's all I have. Actually, there are certain SSPX circles where, in certain uh, fraternity circles, where that would be extremely unpopular. So, I know, I know, and, 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 and ICKSP too. The ICKSP would right. not like it, you know. So we need to bring that's back. True. Uh, that's true. Although you know. I've I've met a few institute priests who do sport facial hair, but uh, I think they, well, did, yeah, because, I think they took liberties. Because, yeah, only because they're in Africa, right? So they. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, what I was, was told? I was told that it should have been added to my lease that I had to grow my beard, but that's just that's just me. It <laughs> we can we can always amend the lease, brother. Uh, although I don't even know what time zone you're in right now, so <laughs> me I mean, neither. It doesn't even matter. I think I, it feels uh, late. <laughs> we have to do this thing at the end of the show that we always like to do, and we're going to start with you, Bill. It's called the Grifter Segment, and this is where you shamelessly self-promote. We're looking at your magazine here. Tell us where we can find it. Tell us how we can subscribe to it, and tell us everything we need to know, Bill. Well, thank you very much uh, for, for putting that up there. Go to thenewamerican.com. There's a the, the, right in front of it, thenewamerican.com. Uh, you'll see right there at the bottom of the homepage, uh, you can subscribe to it and, uh, it's, uh, $49 a year. It's bi-monthly, excuse me, bi-weekly. Uh, so that's our, um, uh, our print magazine. Uh, but we're also online where we have daily, uh, putting up stories and videos 
particularly in the last couple of years, we've really exploded with videos. We've interviewed almost all of the top uh, virologists, uh, epidemiologists, uh, respiratory uh, specialists, et cetera, all of the, the big names and uh, that are uh, contradicting the whole uh, COVID uh, narrative. And we cover a, a lot of other things. So we have about uh, 10 to 20 times as many articles and, and videos online as we have in the actual print magazine. But we do have content in the print magazine that we don't put online as well. So uh, it's uh, well worth it. We we don't have all the pop-ups on our, on our website like you get on all the others in the paywalls. Uh, so... Uh, we appreciate when people subscribe to it. I'd like to make one other uh, grift here, and that is for my son's website, Christopher Jasper. He has a website that you might be interested in. It's called Gregorian Chant Academy, and it's at gregorianchantacademy.com. And he also has a YouTube and Patreon uh, website for that. He teaches uh, that. He was a He is a third order Benedictine and uh, was at the um, uh, Benedictine Abbey in Norcia, Italy, uh, before he and his spiritual uh, supervisor determined that uh, he should become a, a, a married man and father. So he's back here. I have now three grandchildren from him and his lovely wife, and uh, that's how he is supporting his family. So uh, take a look at that at gregorianchantacademy.com. Remarkable. Thank you, sir. Uh, Brother Mar, do you have anything this week? I do. Uh, this week, oh, rather, last week, I opened up a, or I offered free Oblates of and calendars to all church militant employees that would want one. Um, you can just go to www.oblatesofsinagustin.com slash contact us, um, and you can send me your shipping address, and I'll give you a free Oblates of St. Augustine calendar, pre-55 Augustinian calendar. Um, just give me a shipping address, and no, I'll send that to you. This week in particular, I'd like to open it to any college students uh, who would want a free Augustinian pre-55 traditional calendar. So if you're in college, um, go to our Contact Us page on our website, um, use your uh, university email, whatever, and uh, send me your shipping address, and I'll, and I'll send it right to you for completely free. Augustinian pre-55 pre uh, Augustinian calendar. Um, so that's what I like to grift this week. It's it's completely free if you're a college student. I mean, it's I know you're you're eating ramen noodles. That's your that's your daily bread, so to speak. Um, so I think somebody uh, needs to explain to you what a grift is. A grift is where dollars <laughs> I mean, end up in you your make money. <laughs> this is, this, I think this is the opposite of a grift. <laughs> it, it kind of it kind of is, but hey, you know what? When you're poor, you know you you, you do your apostolate. You give uh, what you receive for free, and you trust God's providence to to provide for you uh, afterwards. So. That's kind of what I'm doing, college students. If you want to learn more about the pre-55 liturgy, the pre-55, what what religious orders were uh, before the Second Vatican Council, um, yeah, you, I mean, you can just send me send me your shipping address, and and you'll, you'll get some, you'll get a piece of it. So. All right, Ryan Grant, you are ready to grift. I hope. I am. I was born ready. So, uh, I actually have <laughs> one copy left at the moment. The Month of the Sacred Heart. And this one got a little dinged in shipping, so I'm going to give it to my wife to start reading before our rosaries uh, coming in the month of June. Uh, so this is Meditations for Every Day of the Month of June. So I've been grifting the month of St. Joseph, the uh, the month of Our Lady for May, 
and uh, so now the month of the Sacred Heart. So I was talking about the various font effects. So I show you, you know, kind of. I managed to get some good software or sorry, a good font for this uh, to get these kind of images in here. Uh, it's you know it's a fantastic book. Uh, just going into all the depths and details of the Sacred Heart. There is an endorsement from Father Ripiger on all three: the month of Saint Joseph, the month of Our Lady, and the month of Sacred the Sacred Heart. I shipped out on uh, when um, no yesterday. I shipped out over a hundred of them. So thank you for uh, as I literally have like three boxes show up, massive boxes. They all went out the door same day. And uh, and I still have probably about 20 or so orders. So if you did order it and you haven't seen a shipping update yet, that's because I ran out. And I'm sorry. And uh, I shall have uh, about four more boxes on Tuesday to go out the door. So thank you again for supporting us and ordering from us. Um, I have... Moral Theology, Volume 1 and 2, Volume 3, I am still working on, and I'm very sorry that I'm still working on it. I've been promising it for two years, um, and I think I've given the story before, the day that my daughter died. I was reading it to get advanced, to get ahead, and then I just had the psychological block for a year, because uh, that was 2019. All through 2020, I couldn't do a thing with it, and finally in 2021, I got working on it again. My editor's got sections I'm working on. Uh, there's like one more 40-page section I'm almost done with. So please bear with me on that, especially if you donated to St. Alphonsus. It is coming. I didn't abandon that. I'm not, you know, just letting that go. It is still, you know, coming down the pike. And I just have one more kind of general appeal. Um, I don't want to do a fundraiser. I may if it absolutely gets to that point where I need to, but uh, or mm -hmm. raffle, I don't know what. But um, so we found out this year or we found out just about two weeks ago that uh, our landlord is not renewing our lease. And the reason because they willed the property to their son, they're getting very old. They want to have him there before they die. And, and you know, they're a nice old couple. They were nice to us. They didn't really give us any trouble when we lived there. And so I don't fault them for that. But it has put us in quite a bind. And so I'm scrambling. And I'm almost to the point where I'm pre-qualified for a loan for something to, to get property. And I just need to pay off one debt. <laughs> That's about 20 grand. And so I'm looking at selling a vehicle. So I'm just going to put it out there in your charity. Uh, if you want to buy books, I don't want to get money for nothing. That's why I don't want to put a fundraiser up there. Give me your money because everybody's struggling. The economy is suffering. I, 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 I hate I'm not what I like. I want to live by the sweat of my brow. I don't want to be one of those guys out there, you know, hey, give me money just because, you know, it'd be one thing if I was religious or whatever. And I'm spending my day in prayer for your soul. But I'm not. I'm, I, I, I work hard. I get my matins and my louds in in the morning. I get my family rosary in. You know, I would try to work Vespers in as much as I can. And I'm not, you know, going to be your, unfortunately, your prayer warrior. I'm lucky if I get an hour to make a visit in the Blessed Sacrament during the week. So, it uh, so I'm not going to sit there and try to grift and say give, give me your money for nothing because I need it because everybody needs it and that's the reality. So I'm, I'm not going to I don't want to play that card unless so if I get to that absolute point of desperation then maybe you know pull out some kind of raffle or something. But otherwise, if you see books on our website you want to buy and you have disposal income and God you know gives you the grace and you say hey you know I, I could use that then in that. You know, if you want to buy those, please, you know, now is the time we need it more than ever. And so uh, that that would, you know, at least I need it 
more than ever to try to manage all these stupid financial things to work in the financial system, which in terms of the, the direct immediate mechanics, I, I don't, I'm confused by it all. It doesn't make sense. It's like, Hey, um, I pay my bills and I'm debt free and I don't really have many credit cards. Yeah. That means your credit's low. Cause you don't, not a good debt customer. Oh, Okay, so I can only get X amount. Yeah, and you got to pay off this one loan you got to consolidate other debt and because you thought that was a good idea. No, that was bad. And you need to get rid of this before we can give you this. So that's what I'm up against. And so if, if God, you know, in your charity, if you get the grace to say, hey, you know what? We should buy some books from this guy. Please do. If not, then please say prayers that our lady will provide for us otherwise. Thank you. All right, James, I got your website up. All right, great. Um, I want to plug this website. Uh, this is called LibriVox. Some of you may have heard it or heard of it rather. Some of you may have not. This is a great website. I, I always pull up uh, resources for you uh, that I take advantage of, that I, that I enjoy. And this one in particular, this is the uh, web format, LibriVox.org. What I have, ha have here on my phone uh, if you give me a full screen again. Uh, um, so what I have here is the app version of that website you just saw. And this is a great resource. You can kind of see on the side here, these are the books that I'm currently uh, sort of fascinated fascinated uh, in reading. So I'm just going to read, read you off the bat here, resources here for, for Catholic uh, reading. Um, Great author, by the way. Her name is uh, Frances Alice Forbes. She's one of the very uh, many uh, Catholic authors you can find here. This is all public domain stuff, so it's old, it's old works. You know, you're not going to find anything past 19, I don't know, 1955 uh, here. So uh, there's the life of Saint Athanasius. It's red, right? It's it's a it's a red book by a volunteer. You know, so you get the pleasure of sitting in your vehicle. Or if you're like me, working in your uh, workshop and you need something to sort of uh, pull your mind together while you're working, this serves as a very good resource. If you don't have a mobile device in, in your hand, you, you have your computer, you can log on to that site. It's not logging on, you just, you just log on and it's all free. Um, if you have a phone or an iPad, you can log on here and just search for uh, Catholic uh, books. And here, Life, Life of St. Benedict, Life of St. Monica, Life of St. Teresa, Life of St. Ignatius of Loyola, even a great story on uh, Pope Pius X, uh, and uh, various resources. This, even the Council of Trent, if you want to be that dry, you can <laughs> go through the Council of Trent on your phone while you're working. <coughs> there's also, there's also, um, uh, there's some of uh, the Theologica of uh, St. Thomas is also here, you know. So very great resources here for those of you who are busy with your your, your hands or otherwise uh, during the day and maybe cannot open up a book during the day. I use this a lot, particularly when I'm driving. Uh, it's a great resource. And uh, apart from Catholic books, what else do I enjoy in this device? I enjoy uh, uh, reading uh, Plato's Republic, for instance, or the uh, dialogues, you know, of uh, Socrates. And uh, uh, there's uh, Aristotle's categories are on here too. This is really, uh, you know, Aristotle's, uh, uh, poetics are here and uh, a few other resources. So this is really a, a, a good book. Uh, sorry, a good website, which uh, can benefit a whole lot of people. That's it. That's an excellent grip. Thank you so much for doing that. 
I want to thank everybody for watching the rundown. This is one of our longer episodes. If you enjoy what you're seeing and hearing, please do consider subscribing to the channel, the rundown channel. It's its own separate channel, separate from RPF. Send this video to your friends, especially those who are asleep and who need to hear this invaluable content. And uh, this week, I will absolve you of having to list listen to the RTF commercial. And instead, what I will do is I will delight your senses because what you're about to see are nurses and clergy preparing for the monkeypox lockdowns. God bless you. Thank you for watching. <laughs> Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Oh, yeah, me. I'm cool enough.